This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. This is Mike White, and I am I am Mike White on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And finally, you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer at the minimum rate of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and with me today are my co-hosts, Mike and Tiny. Hey, guys. Guys, how's it going? Hey, Hello. how's it going? And welcome hey. guests to maybe not the best, but certainly the latest end of the year wrap up episode podcast <laughs> to listen to. Seriously, Logan. like we, it's, we are uh, already, we're already one twenty fourth of the way through this year, boys. Oh God, that is nuts! <laughs> and like. Real. I, and it wasn't for a lack of trying. Like, like yeah. we, like I didn't feel well last week, and then and then we had to reshuffle re- the schedule this week. Yeah, I think I had to bump us yeah. two weeks ago. You bumped us mm. last week, and we we had to move it one night for my wife. So here, but here mm. we are, nonetheless. Yeah. And you know what? Tiny over here is the one that has his shit together. <laughs> I know he's been ready the whole time. Thank you, Tiny. Yeah. Our rock. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Uh, <laughs> and so here we are. Uh, but we're excited nonetheless, and hopefully, like everybody else's lists have simmered a little bit, so people are kind of awaiting ours to say, "Well, the 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 movie year isn't really over until the obsessive viewer guys uh, obsess over their list." So hopefully, you're with us. Hopefully, you're excited. The world Absolutely. is our oyster. Oh yes, um, and I just realized I have my notes on a document on my computer, which I'm using. So this is a uh, this is off to a great start. So uh, yeah, so this is our year in review episode. This is the every year we do this. This is one of the most exciting um, episodes that we do each year. Like it's the one that we always say we look forward to, and we're always honest when we say that. Yeah. So um, and you know, so it's really exciting yeah it is exciting it's uh, you know i'm not on as frequently but i'm always on for our annual year end list uh and the thing i think that's so fun about this is every podcast does their end of the year top whatever every single movie podcast does their thing but as you listeners know we are the obsessive viewer so it's not just the movies we watch but we also obsess over how we watch them so what we like to do uh first and foremost really is to talk about our stats so, Matt, you want to tell them oh, yeah. kind of how we go about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I we have a, a whole a whole itinerary that we're probably not going to stick to quite as uh, <laughs> closely as as we would because we would be here literally all night. Uh, yeah. So, for the longest time, for the longest time, uh, we have. <laughs> for the oh, Billy! Time. Billy Joel, time. Yes. the best. Time. 
uh, we have kept track of our movie watching. And with the advent of Letterboxd into our lives last year, I think, or the year before, uh, that has streamlined so much for us in terms of tracking our movies. Um, yeah. So just a plug to Letterboxd. It's amazing, and you should join it for sure. Yeah, shout out to <laughs> um, Letterboxd for sure. Yes. And if you have Letterboxd and you want a free pro membership, which gets you stats and everything, uh, first person to send me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com, I will get you a free pro membership uh, that's a it runs for the full year. Uh, so Matt at obsessedviewer.com, I will get you a free pro membership courtesy of Letterboxd, which is so, they're so great. Sweet. Yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but like we, like we used to, before Letterboxd, we used to have like documents and notes and we would compile our list mike i think for the longest time you had a like an actual notebook do you still have like a notebook that you have no no i did i ditched i ditched anything on paper i ditched paper uh quite Mm -hmm. some time ago but i uh i also just kind of had a google doc that i kept with me that i Mm -hmm. that once we started using letterboxd we also ditched um we always kind of tell this origin story uh, about every year, but I started keeping track in 2008, and I texted Matt, and it was in September, yeah. and for our Shocktober that year, I said, Matt, what if we keep track of every movie that we watch in October? And you said, uh, actually, I've been doing that for about a year and a half now. <laughs> so he, he's, he's... With every that's, movie. That's right. So he's got about 18 yeah. months on his list mm-hmm. uh, before mine, but other than that, uh, Tiny, what about you? I think I started around the same time. I can't remember. Also inspired by by Matt and what he was doing. Yeah. I'm, um, a, I'm a tastemaker. He is. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got old Word documents on a USB drive. For mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah. It's crazy. So yeah, all three of us, uh, for sure, a, a, a complete decade at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the biggest problem that I have with mine is that uh, back in 2009, I was using a notes app or something on my phone and my phone crashed and erased all of 20, uh, of 2009. That's right. So yeah, so my, tw- my 2009 is partial <laughs> and I hate, hate that so much because I want it to be complete and there are gaps that I don't have. Ugh. So that's, that's, it's, it's my greatest, uh, misery really. Yeah. You're but, cross to bear. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but we are in a new decade, so that's cool. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, how do you guys want to get kicked off? Well, you want to talk about stats first? Yeah. Sure. Well, let's do stats, okay. I think. Let's get yeah. to the obsession part. Oh, yes. So, um, usually I'm really good about having stats from last year to compare, but I don't <laughs> this year. Let me just start uh, out, if so I yeah. could, get us kicked mm-hmm. off here, if you don't mind. So, right Matt's 2018 was, not mm-hmm. to overuse the phrase, but it was epic. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes. he had just a shocking number of uh, viewings in the first place, but also his uh, movie theater viewings was just absurd. Yes. Mm-hmm. What was it? Oh, Do you remember yeah. off the top of your head your your movie viewings? I am pulling that up right now. The so theater was like 80-some, wasn't it? His, I think it his, was like 80. God. His year was 357. That's how many total entries. And it was 357. Uh-huh, 357. And so my number last year was like 130. Uh, and oh, as geez. we were recording the podcast, honestly, just the whole time I'm thinking, I got to step up my game. 
in <laughs> in 2019. And so I kind mm-hmm. of established for myself Tuesday night double feature night just at home. I just oh, wanted yeah. to watch double feature. Just kind of fill in some of the blanks in the horror movies that I've watched. So I have mm-hmm. stepped up my game this year. And nice. if if I could be honest, uh, mm-hmm. I kind of kept one of my eyes on Matt's list all year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I actually had an edge on Matt through uh, September. And in October, like, I was running away with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to have more than Matt by the end <laughs> yep. of the year. I'm going to have more than Mr. Obsessive Viewer. The Obsessive Viewer is dead. Long live the, live the Obsessive Viewer. <laughs> And, uh, and, and Matt yeah. just decided to come out in November <laughs> and say, forget about what you knew about movies. And see, that's, and that's, so, okay, let, let me just first say that last year in 2018, uh, my theater viewings was 87. So, God, just want to say that just again. Stunning. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and like, it's funny, Mike, because I like I would peek at your at your yours and Tiny's uh, stats page and everything just out of curiosity sure. and everything yeah. to see where you're at. Um, and never really in a competitive way, but <laughs> it's so funny that you frame it that way because like like for my year in terms of my year, like uh, January of last year, I got accepted into the Indiana Film Journalist Association, and part of that is perks that I get in terms of getting screeners for award season, uh, because the group meets and, and does like awards announces awards. You can check that out. in uh, the episode previous to the last one, um, <laughs> the episode before cats anyway. Um, so in October I had heartland film festival, uh, which I had press passes to again, and I was able to get screeners and everything and watch and review a bunch. And then, uh, November hit and November was screen, like the first time ever screener season happened for me. And like, I got access to over a hundred movies that were released in 2019 with the intention of watching them, being able to watch them to consider them for awards. Um, obviously I did not be, I was not able to watch all of those, but <laughs> my November and most of December was just like, I set aside an entire weekend that I, I tagged as screener weekend on Letterboxd just to watch screeners the entire Jeez. weekend. Yeah. That's, and I think I, yeah, that's the dream. You did it, but I know <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So I ended up throughout the entire year, I ended up watching, uh, I don't want to dive into our stats per se, but just to kind of put a pin on that, uh, 49 screen press screeners. Wow. Uh, throughout the entire year. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, so yeah, so, so yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about our year in, in movies. So like, that's basically mine. Uh, uh, Tiny, how about you? What, how'd you feel about movies this year that in your stats and, and everything? Uh, I was fine with my, my numbers. Uh, I know they're going to pale in comparison to the two of you. Um, uh, but I, I just had a lot of other goals this year, uh, that mm-hmm. didn't have anything to do with movies and oh, nice. those went well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm not sure if I'm going to be like a goal setting kind of as far as movie goes, movies go anymore, mm-hmm. just because the last couple of years I've tried to kind of get something going and it just never pans out. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of disappointing myself at the end of every year, I just <laughs> won't even go there. Okay. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I was, I was fine. I was completely fine with, with mm-hmm. what I, with what I came up with this year, basically. Nice. Yeah. 
Uh, that's great. And uh, Mike, kind of circling back to you, how did you feel uh, about your year in movies aside from yeah. being in, in the shadow of Well, Matt? I'm kind of a competitive <laughs> guy, so I'm frankly a little disappointed no. that, I, that I didn't best you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not that this obsessive viewer thing is a contest. Uh, that's kind of right. never been a tenet of ours. But right, uh, right. no, honestly, on a personal level, I'm I'm actually very excited about my numbers. Um, Sweet. Yeah, I kind of had a number goal in mind that I that I didn't quite get to, but we'll talk about that. Um, but I am I was very pleased with sticking to my uh, two 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 Tuesday night viewings. I also, nice. uh, we didn't really do a Shocktober wrap up episode, but yeah, but it was it was the most enjoyable Shocktober I've had probably since you know one of the first two. I decided, nice. yeah, well, I just got so tired of watching garbage in October. Mm-hmm. You know, by the fifteenth, I was just tired of watching bad movies and just the the mm. the great ones were not outweighed by just how much garbage I had to sit through and so I decided to make Shocktober 31 of my favorites. The, and I love that. Uh, yeah, that's that cool. is that's awesome. Well, I think I'm going to stick with it. And, and so next year I'm going to do nice. not not the same 31 but like the next 31 on my list uh. of 100. Right? I just want nice. to keep having this rotate. I just want to know that I can bank on good stuff and then throughout the year i'll try to watch the uh the fill in the blank stuff and if you know on a tuesday night i watch garbage it's not as big a deal as on an october 10th where i'm kind of like that's my activity for the day Mm -hmm. that's a great idea that it really is i really liked it yeah, and especially like with the way that you consume media anyway like you are a horror aficionado aficionado. Mm -hmm. thank you yeah and like yeah and like that's that's just Something that shouldn't be relegated to one month of the year for you, right? Like at all. That's kind of so, my thinking as well. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and by doing this, like if you see something that blows you away throughout the year, like you can be like, okay, I'll watch this on like October thirteenth. That's right. Um, yeah. That's exactly so right. I, I like that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I also had a pretty good Shocktober myself this year. Kind of surprisingly, because I, I wanted to do a more concentrated effort on Shocktober, but I also had Heartland obligations and stuff. So that's always been kind of a, a tricky kind of thing uh, to navigate for me. But I did, I do feel like I got back into kind of a Shocktober mindset, and I was very pleased with uh, with my Shocktober ing um, yeah. this year. Yeah. So I was very pleased with that. It's the most wonderful time of year. Yeah. So, Matt, it, do you want to? Do you want to start with your stats, your numbers? <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Hit us with it. Oh. So, and I'm not even like really like like I don't feel I'm not like gloaty about it because I just I'm I don't know I'm pretty I'm pretty just okay with my stats and everything, but my total viewings I'll just dive right into it. Total viewings I had were 261 viewings, um, which I thought was pretty good. Um, coming yeah. off of 357 last year, it's it's a steep decline obviously but i knew that i was not going to make a concentrated effort to try to beat that uh so 261 viewings um of those viewings they are 240 titles um so only if like about 20 like repeat viewings Mm -hmm. um first viewings like first time viewings of movies of that uh of that uh stat is 180 first viewings 
Um, new releases, so movies that were released in 2019 that I watched and therefore had to cull from for my top 10 list, uh, 125 new releases. Wow, that's which awesome. I am super happy about. It's good. Um, yes. And it is, I'll just say, we're, we're going to have an Oscar nomination rundown episode with our contributor, Ben, next week, hopefully. Um, and this is the first year that I have already watched all of the major nominees. Like, there's like maybe five movies that have been nominated for something that I haven't seen. Yeah. Wow. Um, out of the entire Academy Awards this year. So I'm happy about that. It's huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, theater viewings, <laughs> uh, it's funny, like theater viewings, I have a list and I was super excited about like blowing out like my theater viewing stat this year because I have a full year of a list, right. uh, toward the end of the year, or maybe the middle part of the year, it just was not as important to me to use a list. Like I wasn't obsessive about that. So, but I also had like press screenings and advanced screenings and and heartland screenings and everything so there was a lot of theater viewings uh my number uh it was 74 theater viewings oh my god that's in 2019 that's taking it lightly that's so great (laughs) and so you decided to chill out at the end of the year and you only came (laughs) up 10 short from last year (laughs) honestly that's not me chilling out at the end of the year i hit the theater really hard at the end of the year. Um, like to kind of go back to the whole press screening thing and everything with award season with the IFJA, the IFJA actually got like exclusive screenings lined up. So for award consideration. So like I saw the Irishman in a theater about uh, three weeks before it dropped on Netflix. And I saw tiny and I both saw 1917, like a full month before it's limited release. We saw it in November. And yeah. So like, all of these opportunities popped up and I couldn't pass them up. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I haven't compiled my stats for A-list per se, but I did see of those 74 screenings, I was I went to a total of 11 different movie theaters in the Indianapolis area. Um, <coughs> of those 74, I saw 45 of them with AMC A-list and 11 of them were Heartland uh, Heartland Film Festival theater viewings. Mm, okay. So, yeah. Um, I have stats for individual theaters, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I do want to point out, final thing about theater viewings and everything is that, um, <laughs> I tag who I see on, in my tags, I tag who I see the movie with. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so, um, there is this, uh, I would call it a, a, a white hot feud between Tiny and Kirsten. Um, that I have a sneaking suspicion that neither neither of them give a shit about. It. <laughs> no, uh, no, not not at all, man. They are both individually close to seeing 100 movies in the theater with me. Uh, they're both in the 90s, and the first one to wins gets their pet to be runner up mascot for the podcast. Oh. Um, so, yes. Um, but yeah, I don't know, have the stats in So, front of how me many in terms do you think I, I'm, I'm probably 92 movies away, something like that from? <laughs> <laughs> I think in the theater, I've, ah, I would say I've seen maybe 10 movies with you. Yeah. That's kind of what I was Maybe thinking. more? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, uh, I do want to just highlight this was a good year for, seeing movies in the theater with Kirsten and Tiny in, individually. Mm-hmm. Um, with Kirsten, I saw a total of 15 movies in the theater. 
And with Tiny, I saw a total of 13 movies in the theater. Oh, lucky 13. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Baker's Dozen. Um, an obsessive viewer doesn't. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but the most sad, not even sad, I'm not, I'm not sad about it, but like the, on paper, the saddest one is, uh, the tag of alone was <laughs> <laughs> 42. Oh my God. 42 theater screenings. Maybe change alone. that tag to solo or something. Yeah. Solo, yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'll quickly run down the rest of these, um, That's press funny. screeners. I had were 49, 49, uh, in terms of format, 49 press screeners, uh, 34 from my digital collection, uh, 31 DVDs, but four of them were from my DVD collection. I included like, um, press screeners on that too. Um, 10 Blu-rays for my collection. And I also rented on Google Play, three movies, Voodoo, two movies. Um, what I want to do this year is, keep a closer eye on the streaming services that I use because I have so many. It's ridiculous. Uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. I have Canopy, which is free, but still. Uh, Criterion Channel, HBO, Shutter, Stars, Showtime. Like Intermittently, I'll get the add-on subscription on Amazon. Mm. So I want to keep a closer eye on that and kind of decide like what I need to have and what I can dump. Yeah. Um, but the runaway of streaming services for me was, uh, 25 on Netflix. And, uh, oh, I didn't put, oh, you know, I forgot to put Disney Plus. Um, oh, yeah. Cause I think I've seen like 20 movies on Disney Plus already. Um, but yeah, uh, those are my stats. Uh, I don't really have much else Ooh. to go through, but. Jeez. But yeah. Those are some stats. I, you know, it's, uh, heavy is the head that wears the crown. So, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mike, Tiny, which one wants to go first? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I'll go. Um, so mine is not as incredibly triumphant. Uh, and I also don't do a good job of keeping track. I tag, uh, on Letterboxd, um, like where I watch it, if it's streaming, if it's, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, those sort of things. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, but I don't keep a side list. So I might have to mm-hmm. do some, uh, kind of some, some work actually while I'm, going through this so i'll try to go through it as reasonably and quickly as possible so the big the big number i really wanted to hit 200 uh movies total but i actually only hit 195 diary entries Mm. now yeah i don't see a lot of repeats especially at home um Mm -hmm. but i don't know off the top of my head how many uh specific movies that is uh, but I will say 195 films watched, that's 3.8 per week. And my most watched day of the week was actually Tuesday because I did my oh, Tuesdays. Hmm. Yeah. Sure. So I'm excited about that. Uh, mostly horror, 117. Mm-hmm. 117 out of that 195 Jeez. is horror movies. That's awesome. Yeah. That's nuts. I, that's actually news to me right now. I just now learned that. That's I, I feel good <laughs> about that. 117 horror movies. Holy Jesus. Jeez. Yeah. Um, so of my 195, 59 of them are, uh, 2019 releases. Watch a lot of old bad horror. Nice. Uh, and 124 of them were first time viewings for me. 
Okay. Uh, in the theater, I'm actually pretty proud of this, even though it's not as huge as Matt's numbers. Uh, well, it's not a competition. Uh, <laughs> is uh, 57 theater viewings. My goal is really always just to at least see one a week uh, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and hopefully top that. And, and I've done that really every year since we've been doing movie night. Uh, which this year in, in August will cute. be. Our t- Fuck you! <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, I had to. Are you gonna? Is is this my segment or is this your segment? I'm trying. It to- is yours. <laughs> uh, anyway, 57 viewings. Really, only two repeat viewings. I saw Spider-Man: Far From Home, uh, and I also saw Avengers: Endgame. Uh, by myself. Other than that, I don't see a whole lot of movies by myself. I watch a lot of like solo movies at home. And mm-hmm. so we go out and do movie nights. So they're all generally, uh, theatrical movie nights. A couple cool movie nights. We saw Alien, Cabin in the Woods, The Shining. Nice. Uh, I always love seeing that mm. old stuff in theaters. So that's, mm-hmm. that was super fun. Uh, Sweet. Uh, if I look at movie nights and, uh, well, I'm trying to look at my tags here. Well, anyway, I- I'll skip some of that stuff. Um, yeah, I guess that's I guess that's where I'll leave you. So 100, 195 okay. total, uh, and I don't have I don't have 2019 uh, stats for streaming and where I watch them and when I watch okay. them. But I know it was a lot of Shutter uh, is where I watch mm-hmm. most of my horror movies. Uh, I did like a lot of library rentals for a lot of old horror movies. Nice. Uh, and then oh, most cool. of October, Shocktober, was just my DVD and Blu-ray collection. Mm-hmm. So that's Sweet. my nice. 2019. Sweet. Nice. Uh, Tiny, and and when we finish with Tiny, I'm going to circle back and go through a little bit of letterbox stats because I didn't do that. But go ahead, Tiny. Okay. Uh, so... I have nowhere near that many categories that I compiled. Uh, part of the reason I think that I've really backed off on that over the past couple of years is because my numbers are just nowhere near what they used to be. Mm. Um, uh, but I'm still fine with my numbers. I just, I don't dive into them as much because it's not, honestly, it would not be anywhere near as interesting as what you guys did because you guys had some nice, you know, marathon months and you go to the theater all the time and all that so it would kind of be be boring if i did that i think so uh (laughs) but i had yourself short we saw 13 movies in the theater well yeah 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 but uh wait 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 for these stats or lack thereof (laughs) so i saw 122 total viewings this year which i'm okay with i'd like to hit 150 at least um (laughs) i know it's cute huh I still hold the record, you know. You, That's true. You do, he yeah. Does. You yeah. Did 366 in 2014, I think. Yeah, 366. Yeah. yeah. We'll get him. We'll <laughs> yeah. You probably will. <laughs> um, so 122, I'm okay with that. I, I wish it was more. I always wish it was more, mm. um, except for that one here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it is it is what it is. Um, I saw 17 in the theater, which I'm nice. relatively happy with. I like to be... Mike, you like the Leo at least once a week, and Matt, you're um, a devil with it, basically. <laughs> right. But I, I kind of like once every two weeks. Kind of like I'd like to see a movie, you know. So twenty six basically for the year. Um, I think the closest I've ever gotten is twenty five. Okay. I don't remember what year that was, but um, yeah. Uh, so and a huge thanks to Matt and the IFJA oh, for yeah. um, you know he brought me as his guest to several screenings. Um, 
and th- those were fantastic. Oh yeah, had some great experiences there, and that was. I had uh, to grease some wheels, but not really. I'm allowed <laughs> to have a plus one. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So new releases, movie that came, movies that came out in 2019. I saw 46, which is close to half, which is nice. is pretty good. Um, and then 29 of them were like rewatches or movies that I had seen before. Um, but for just to kind of fold this into my stats, cause it, it kind of fits in here for the first time in five years, my collection is readily available to me finally. Oh, wow. Because I don't know if listeners will remember, but we lived in an apartment for two years and my collection was oh, out yeah. in the garage, mm-hmm. like in never another building. Um, so I watched almost nothing. And then, we moved into the house i didn't have any shelves or anything and it was all all my collection has been in tubs in our basement packed away for almost three years but we finally got some shelves and like i put like my you know quote unquote man man cave Mm -hmm. my area together and i've got all my stuff on display i thinned it out a little bit you showed me some pictures and it looks the presentation looks good i'm really happy with it so uh this year yeah this year i want to get into my collection more Nice. Um, which I've said that before, but I think it's going to be much easier to do this year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't. I, totally... I don't. Well, I was just going to say I don't pay enough mm-hmm. respect to my collection. I wish. I wish yeah. that I would, but it's yeah. really an issue for me. I used to Same when here. I had it right there in front of me, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I, I don't. I haven't for years, but I think now that it's there, mm-hmm. every time I go downstairs, I take a look at my collection. And I'm just like, man, that's a great movie. I haven't watched that's that nice. in so long, and I think eventually that's that's going to start getting me, and I'm going to start mm-hmm. watching that stuff. So. I totally get that. And like my collection is right next to me all at all times, but I am so it's so weird cuz it's just an overabundance of streaming services and everything right. like I am more apt to watch something in my digital collection on Vudu mm-hmm. than I am to pick something off the shelf and pop it in my PlayStation. Right. Or conversely, if I had if there's something on Netflix, like I watched toward the end of the year, I threw on uh um Scott Pilgrim versus the world because I just saw it on Netflix and I just want to throw it on the, in the background. Yeah. Like it's almost to the point that I don't need a physical collection anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie is said, like my number one. It's been too long since I've watched that. I need to watch it. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. It, uh, it holds up. I, I like it. There's some, some little things here and there, but it's, it's really good. Um, but <laughs> having said that about not really needing a physical collection anymore, um, recently I've been on a tear of buying some, uh, Criterion stuff, uh, which is ridiculous because I have Criterion Channel, the streaming service, <laughs> and, uh, several of these I already own on DVD, but I wanted the Blu-ray, but like a few, I've got four, Kurosawa movies, Rashomon, Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, and Sanjuro. And then I bought, finally bought a copy of 12 Angry Men on Blu-ray from mm-hmm. Criterion. So, uh, yeah, I have just a stack just staring at me. I also bought the, um, uh, Godzilla Showa era, uh, Criterion collection Which edition. Which is cool. The packaging is super cool. It's super cool. It's 15 movies. Dang. And it's, yeah. Oh, it's good. I am hoping, and now that's going to be recorded, it's never going to happen because I'm me, but I'm hoping to do reviews of each movie throughout the year. So cool. We'll see. Um, but yeah, those are my stats. Yeah. Nothing, nothing too sexy, nice. uh, but uh, I'm okay with it. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not bad. Do you, ha- do you have any letterbox stats you want to go through? I, I don't, I didn't like really, 
compile anything like okay. that. I mean, like your stats page. I can open it up. I, okay. I, uh, yeah. Well, you do that. I'll just run down a few that I have. Because, Mike, I know you already touched on some yeah. uh, for you. Um, my biggest day was Sunday, uh, which is pretty common for me. Uh, 56 movies on Sunday. Uh, average movies per week was five. Uh, I averaged 21.8 movies a, a month. Um, what's really interesting is... Uh, like if you look at the, if you go to my stats page and look at the kind of bars for each week and everything, the, like from, uh, from like March to like September maybe, or yeah, March to like August, like it's a wasteland. Like I didn't watch hardly anything. And like, there were some like bouts of depression that I went through and everything, like just general, like mental health issues, uh, that kind of put a damper on that. But I, uh, I rallied and I, uh, did well for the rest of the year. Um, f- <laughs> first and last movie. Um, so I, at the start of 2019, I watched Blade Runner as my first movie of 2019, specifically because it was set in 2019. Um, oh, yeah. And I uh. had, yeah. And I had every intention of finishing the year with watching tw- uh, Blade Runner 2049 to kind of bookend the year. Um, <laughs> I had it all planned. I was going to watch it New Year's Eve, and then I suddenly got, I got invited to New Year's, uh, to New Year's Eve plans. Huh. So, the last movie of the year that I watched was The Big Sick. Um, nice. Mine was yeah, uh, but... The Clove Hitch Killer on, on okay, January nice. 1st. Uh, hmm. And Parasite, December 30th. I had strep oh, throat nice. over Christmas break, so I did a lot oh, of... that sucks. Yeah, just being sick and going to bed early. Mm. So I didn't, I didn't get to do... I kind of had a pretty exciting uh, Christmas break planned for watching movies and just did none of it. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Tiny, do you have your first and last? Uh yeah, uh first was Won't You Be My Neighbor nice. and last was Six Underground. Oh okay. Right, nice. Right yeah. Um funny thing about that, so I watched Blade Runner for the first movie and The Big Sick for the last movie. Um I like I am so weird. I wanted to pick I wanted to have some kind of significance for my first movie of 2020 uh just because I'm weird. Um, and like, <laughs> like I really wanted to do, like, I wanted to start the year by watching Now You See Me because 2020, 2020 vision. And then, <laughs> no. end, and then end of the year this year with watching Now You See Me too. Oh no. Um, oh no. My God. But, and I'm, I'm not shitting any of you. Uh, I spent the majority of New Year's Day trying to figure out what I wanted to watch. <laughs> Um, and I ended up watching, uh, I ended up watching her, um, Hmm. which is, it seems random and everything, but there is a method to my madness and I might do this from now on. Uh, I picked her because I was putting together my stats and everything for 2019 and I noticed, okay, well, the first movie of 2019 was Blade Runner, a science fiction film. And the last movie was The Big Sick, a romantic comedy drama so like what like where's the like mm-hmm. what's the mix between those two? A romantic so her, sci-fi. A romantic sci-fi drama. Ah. So uh I'm an idiot. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the obsessive viewer. Yes. For real. Um so uh most watched I had was it chapter one four times. Wow. Dang. I know. Man, how uh, do you how do you watch a movie for a third time in a year? Um, I just can't do it. I don't know. Like if I look, I could go through my letterbox here and I, and I won't, mm-hmm. I won't bore the audience too much. But if I go through, let's pick a random year, 2016. 
Uh, mm. I don't think there's any movie I watched more than twice. Yeah, nothing. Wow. Nope. Twice. I don't do it anymore, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it's been years since I've watched a movie more than twice. Well, I watched Endgame three times this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's an exception. You know... Uh, okay, so yeah. The Force Awakens, I watched three times. Mm. And Age of Ultron, funny enough, I watched three times. Hmm. Huh. Wow. But that's like movies See, I saw twice in theaters and then again mm-hmm. on Blu-ray. Ma- basically, my right. method is I'll see it in theaters and then mm-hmm. once when it comes out on Blu-ray. And see, mm-hmm. what I have is like, okay, It Chapter 1 is a unique circumstance because one of those four, four viewings was me and Tiny watching it here in my apartment to record a commentary track for Tower Junkies. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, so there was that. Um, and then I wanted to rewatch it before It Chapter 2, and then Kirsten wanted to rewatch it before It Chapter 2. Um, so there is there are reasons for that. However... Guess what, uh, Matt? Guess what the fir- my first movie of 2015 was? Ooh, oh, ooh, this is fun. Um, Don't think too hard. 2015, my first movie. Okay. They came together. No. Her. <laughs> no. Her. Oh, nice. Yeah. That makes uh-huh. sense. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, uh, my other most watched, and I think, Mike, this might break your brain a little bit. Uh, I watched Booksmart three times. Okay. I watched Us three times. Man. I watched It Chapter 2 three times. Oh, boy. Sorry. In the theater. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. Check out the latest episode of Tower Junkies, by the way. Um, <laughs> that should be going up the same time this one goes up. Um, and then rounding it out, I watched uh, The Big Sick twice. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, bless your In heart. In terms of... I know. Mine is all um, twice. I watched Us twice, Never Hike Alone twice, <laughs> Long Shot twice, Far From Home twice, Eighth Grade twice. That's it. That's it. Nice. Hmm. Nice. Um, in terms of genre, nothing really sticks out. Drama was the clear runaway. 112 movies, which that's to be expected with Oscar season and everything. Comedy, 89. Um, thriller, 56. Um, How many horror see. movies did you watch? Oh, What's your boy. horror number? Uh, I watched you know, 17. It's the it's my least watched genre, but a 17. Horror is? Nice. Yeah. Um, horror was 51 for me, okay. so not bad. Um, hey, I'm a little... you know what? Cute. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice well done thanks uh but it's interesting because i'm a little disheartened by that because sci-fi was 39 and i mean honestly these days i kind of consider myself more a sci-fi fan than horror fan sure yeah um so it's it's that's kind of a little disconcerting it's something i might need to focus on next year this year um top actors and everything uh top one was samuel l jackson just because he's in everything <laughs> me too yeah um i think everyone's top was uh, samuel l jackson yep. well nice. mine's yep. actually tied with jamie lee curtis for five. Oh, oh nice. cool yep. i watched 10 10 samuel l jackson movies wow <clears throat> um five idris elba uh five brie larson um very happy about that. Top director was Quentin Tarantino with nine movies because we did the retrospective with Fecus. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron, three movies. Um, so that's cool. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's all of my letterbox stats and everything. Should we switch gears a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what do we have next? Um, uh, do you guys have regrets this year? Stuff that you didn't get to? Oh, regrets. Oh, you mean movies. <laughs> you, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have... <laughs> <laughs> I always make a list of a few regrets that I wish I could have got. I don't, we don't have to go into them, but I just, 
just to honestly know. i don't I'm i figured you wouldn't because yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it's um, horror movies that came out this year mm-hmm. that I meant to watch. Um, like, I, I will end up watching all the Oscar nominees before it happens, so I kind of hold out a little right. bit. Um, but I definitely meant to see The Lighthouse. Uh, I want to see Bliss. Uh, I never got around to seeing Daniel Isn't Real. Uh, I need to see Crawl. Um... Interesting. Oh yeah, what are some other of the horror movies? 2019 horror movies. I meant to watch. Oh, I wanted to watch Nightmare Cinema. I didn't get around to it. I trapped the devil. Satanic Panic. Uh, so yeah, like I said, those. Um, mostly horror. The rest of the stuff I I will mm-hmm. find a way to watch. Yeah. I will say, if I do have any regrets, it's that I didn't, and and I wanted to, but I didn't get a chance to, and I apologize, Mike, I did not get a chance to watch, uh, is it Horror Noir? Oh, yeah. 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 Or the Tiger movie. Oh, Tigers <laughs> um, Are Not Afraid. There you go. That's a great one. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so those two I, I missed out on, knowing that they were going to be, uh, that you, you were very happy with. Yeah. I wanted to watch them, but I didn't get around to it, so yeah. those are my regrets. Right on, um, right on. I had I had six of them, but like I just uh, to list them <laughs> off real quick: Portrait of a Lady on Fire, mm. uh, The Farewell, uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon, oh, Dolomite yeah. is my name, um, Bombshell, and The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Those okay. are yeah. The those are like the regrets are something that like I I feel like it just based on trailers and what I've heard, they could possibly be good enough to be honorable mentions or a top 10 style movie. Right. So that's why I always want to bring those up. So for okay. sure. Yeah. Those are my regrets. Nice. Um, so yeah. So before we get into the lists and everything, I do want to highlight uh, some uh, memorable or special movie theater viewings that we experienced and everything. Uh, do you guys have those? Yeah, I could yeah, share briefly. I could share a few. Um probably the biggest one uh for me was the first time we saw Avengers Endgame. And mm. and late shows are really <laughs> kind of something I've tried to cut out of my life just cuz mm-hmm. uh you know the talking about mental health issues, Matt, last yeah. year I felt like it was a really unhealthy physical and mental year for me. Uh, and a lot of it was just lack of sleep. And I, and I kind of mm-hmm. had bouts of insomnia and then just really tired during the day. And, you know, part of it, I think might have been watching those double features on Tuesday night, sure. set, <laughs> setting my week off on a, so I just, sure. I was just unhealthy a lot all year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we had a, like a 1030 show of Avengers Endgame. And I remember, oh, yeah, yeah, really debating. I was like, man, do we really want to do? And I, to be honest, I can't remember the circumstances under which, but, mm-hmm. uh, we were just like, screw it. Let's do, let's just do 1030. It'll be fine. So we did 1030 and the movie is what? Three hours, two, two fifty, yeah. something like that. Three hours. Mm-hmm. Three hours. Um, about halfway in, I'd say about 45 minutes in, the screen goes blank for about 10 minutes and comes back oh. on. And then at about ha- the halfway point of the movie, like the whole wing of the theater shut down. 
due to a storm and it was fried and it Mm. it was so i'll kind of save the details um Mm -hmm. but it was the organization trying to get things working again was so heinous so like they sent us out of the theater and they're like okay you guys go across the hall to this theater but we go in as the screen is ending and there are people sitting there and we're like, what's going on, are you guys? And they're like, well, our movie ended, but we didn't get to see the last 20 minutes. All we had was sound. So we're waiting to see if they'll fix it. Uh. So they sent us into a theater where there were people having problems as well. And so they sent Ugh. us back into the thing. They said, well, it might be another 30 minutes. So we went into the hallway, and we're waiting and freaking out. And people are really not being cool about it. All the while, I have a sinus infection at 10.30 at night, on a school night, it's now 12.45 a.m., and I'm just, like, I can't breathe out of here, Uh, and I'm like, should we leave? It it was the only time I debated leaving, and I was just like, you know, what's another extra two hours of misery? Tomorrow's Friday, let's just power through, because it's really going to be a better experience. Um... And funny enough, I loved Avengers so much that I'm glad I stayed. It was, it was, oh, I, about that night, I just remember Avengers better than the rest of the awfulness. So that was kind of my most interesting theater story of the year. Nice. Nice. Um, Tiny? Yeah, um, seeing the only movie we saw at the Indiana State Theater, or that I saw at the Indiana mm-hmm. State uh, Theater was, um, State Museum Theater, was Apollo 11. And yeah, that was just beautiful yeah. seeing it on there. That was that that was there, right? Wasn't it? I isn't that where we saw? No, that, that was at Southern Plaza. Was it? Yeah, I guess their screen's just that good now. Yeah, oh, but yeah. that movie was beautiful. Just wasn't it? seeing it on that big ass screen mm. was was beautiful. Um, and then uh, us when we went to see the the oh, yeah. journalist screening of us, the crowd was hilarious, <laughs> uh, and it was just so much. That was a really fun mm-hmm. theater experience. So nice. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of details on it, but uh, sure. there were like comments coming from the crowd, but like at the perfect time, like it wasn't disruptive. It was strictly entertaining, which is a hard balance to strike. Right. Um. Uh. Yeah. It just it worked for whatever reason, and there's just lots of laughs in that movie, nice. which is weird, but um. Right. Right. Given the subject matter. Um. But yeah, that was that was a great experience. So. Sweet. Yeah. Um. Anything else? No, that's all I have. Really. Okay. Um, so I have three. Um. First will be 1917. As I said, it was a press screening that we got advanced access to. So we saw it like a month in advance, which is awesome. Um, and also it was in a Dolby theater and like that movie is just so, uh, engrossing. Uh, it's just really good. I actually wrote a review on the website. So check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one, uh, I'm going in ascending order. So the second one is in fabric, uh, which was a movie I wasn't too crazy about. Mike, are you familiar with Infabric? No, I'm not. It's a horror movie. Um, A24 bought it and is distributing it, distributed it this year. Um, and it's available digitally. It's about a kind of haunted dress, um, that it, it's very like evocative or, uh, evocative of like, what I understand of like Dario Argento. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, like that style. It has that very, like a very 70s grimy kind of thing. The soundtrack is incredible. Okay, cool. 
Um, I didn't really care for the movie as a whole all that much, but it was really cool because of extenuating circumstances. So that was a special presentation movie for Heartland Film Festival, which Heartland is very much about, you know, um, you know, kind of, I, I don't want to say feel good movies, but like important movies like that or uh, important movies and very, uh, kind of like dramatic movies and everything Mm -hmm. they are starting next year starting this year uh for both their short film festival in the in the in i think july and their full-length feature uh uh, heartland film festival in october they're going to have a side uh category of heartland horror so they're going to actually for the first time ever have a selection of horror movies yeah so it was really cool to see to to see that be the part of like the first ever heartland horror screening um yeah Uh, so that was cool and my number one uh just most i'm like it's insane that i can say this sentence that i'm about to say uh i saw seven samurai at the historic uh, art craft theater in Franklin, Indiana, a 35 millimeter print of seven samurai on the big screen. And like, it was incredible. Like, because it's one of my favorite movies ever. 15 year old Matt, 15 year old douchey Matt <laughs> was having a freaking just love fest with that experience. <laughs> um, it's just, it's something that I, Never thought I would have the opportunity to see and will likely never have another opportunity, opportunity to see Seven Samurai on the big screen on 35 millimeter print. So it was just, that was incredible. And then I bought the Blu-ray. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this is like the third or fourth time I've bought this movie. Um, just because of different editions and everything. But yeah. Yeah. As I told Tiny, uh, and the world that, uh, I'm just really excited to have Seven Samurai on Blu-ray because for the first time ever, I have a copy of Seven Samurai that fits onto one disc, and I'm super, I'm like legitimately excited oh, about nice. that. Nice, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I guess now that you say that, seeing some of the mm-hmm. older horror movies in theaters was mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Getting, getting nice. to see The Shining on the big screen mm-hmm. was amazing. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, which is just, man, I, I mean, it's one of my all time favorites, or it's becoming one mm-hmm. of my all time favorites. Uh, on nice. a screen was, was just a fun ride to go on again. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very awesome. Yeah. Um, let's see. So before we go, before we move on, uh, I'm going to read, I'm, I'm going to splice this in later, but, uh, before we go on to our, uh, honorable mentions, here is, uh, contributor Ben's top 10 list for, uh, the year of 2019. Okay. So here is Ben Sears's. Um, top 10 list for 2019. Um, he did write a, uh, a post on obsessiveviewer.com, uh, with blurbs and everything as well as honorable mentions. So check that out. Link in the show notes. But here's a rundown of Ben's top 10 films of 2019. Number 10, Detective Pikachu. Number nine, The Souvenir. Number eight, The Farewell, which he was on the podcast to review with me earlier in the year. Or in the middle of the year. Anyway, uh, number seven is The Lighthouse, which he also joined me for a review on the podcast for. Uh, number six is Ad Astra. Number five is Uncut Gems. Number four, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Number three, Us. Number two, Parasite. And number one... This here? This is it, bro! 
final frontier of manifest destiny. Last hand to the city. Man, two steps further, you'll be drinking that filthy salt water. But we built these ships, trans these canals. In the San Francisco, they never knew existed. The last black man in San Francisco. So, yeah, great job, Ben. Thank you. And, and Ben has done an incredible job posting reviews and everything and contributing to the website. And I'm really looking forward to the stuff that he does next, this year in 2020 and, uh, and more podcast appearances, more reviews and everything. It's, uh, I'm, we're very thankful to have him. So that's Ben's top 10 list. And yeah. And we're back. Clean edit. Awesome. Um, so those, those were Ben's top 10. You can check that out on the website as well. Uh, so you guys want to go into honorable mentions for 2019? Yeah. Yep. Let's do it. Sweet. Okay. Where should we begin? Uh, do you want me to start since we started with me with stats? Sure. Sure. Okay. Sweet. Let me just vamp a little bit because I am a shithead who was not prepared. Um, okay. <laughs> so honorable mentions for 2019. Uh, I have five. Uh, real quick, Waves, um, I thought was really interesting and provocative, uh, tense and, and really, uh, pretty well done. A little bit overindulgent, but I really appreciated the kind of the way that, uh, the plot lines kind of interconnected or, or called back to other ones. Uh, Rewind is the next honorable mention. It's a documentary, uh, that was at Heartland Film Festival. Uh, quick plot summary. Digging through the vast collection of his father's home videos, a young man reconstructs the unthinkable story of his boyhood and exposes vile abuse passed through generations. Incredible documentary. Hmm. Uh, yeah, just whew, amazing. Um, and then the next runner up or honorable mention is Apollo 11, which is another documentary that, uh, Tiny, you mentioned it when you were talking about movie theater, uh, or you mentioning the theater experiences and stuff. Uh, just really cool documentary about Apollo 11. It blows my mind that we did the things that we did, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> as a species. Um, next honorable mention is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, really liked it. Really thought it was funny and, and interesting. Um, but it's something about it. Just, I didn't, I wasn't really thinking that much about it after I saw it. So that's why it's an honorable mention. And final honorable mention is Ad Astra. Uh, it's a big budget space movie, uh, thought provoking and, uh, dramatic, uh, with just an insane visuals that call back to 2001 a space odyssey which is of course one of my favorite movies of all time um so yeah honorable mentions uh those are them uh mike how about yours very cool i'm gonna i'm gonna go a little extreme and i'm gonna do 10 honorable mentions just because this was such a really great year for great movies and i know we Mm kind of do that like blanket this was a year for movies Mm -hmm. this is a great year this is not a great year for um the the like middle of the road movies I have so many of those, but I really, yeah. I really struggled with, um, six through 15. Well, okay. I would say I struggled with eight through 15. Um, so even sure. the ones that I'll get to in my top 10, I think depending on the day, you could switch some of these out. Um, so I'll start 
and say uh, number 20 would be Spider-Man Far From Home. Number 19 is Tigers Are Not Afraid. Um, I kept that one off the top 10 because, man, it's a beautiful, beautiful, haunting movie. It's just not as scary as I'd hoped it was. Uh, gotcha. Number uh, number 18 is One Cut of the Dead, which is a Japanese horror zombie movie that, that really celebrates uh, independent cinema. And for 30 minutes, you think it's one thing, and then it's really something else. Uh, the head. Hunter 17 is a super, super, super low budget movie. Like in the tens of thousands of dollars, this movie cost. Oh, to make. wow. And you wouldn't believe it. It's, it's, it's like a, it's like a video game, uh, in, in a movie. Uh, number 16 hmm. is Midsummer. Uh, and I don't know what about it, but as the year went on and as I kept seeing movies, it kept dropping down a little bit on my list. Uh, there's something about it that as much as I love Ari Aster, it just didn't hit me the way her hereditary did um and so i i I just wasn't all in on that one uh number 15 jojo rabbit uh matt as well um really really great really heartfelt really an important message for today um ultimately something about it didn't quite click with me um number 14 is uncut gems not that it was an enjoyable experience watching that movie but because the craft of the anxiety of that movie is like nothing i've ever experienced before so tense yeah Mm -hmm. uh and then okay so these next three were all uh on my top 10 until about a week ago and i'm and i moved some things around uh so number 13 is fighting with my family Speaking of fighting with my family, how about the year that Florence Pugh has had? Insane. Mm. Yeah. Starting Insane. starting with fighting with my family. This little tiny out of nowhere move. I mean, I guess it had The Rock helping to push mm. it, but really this little out of nowhere wrestling movie that is so damn heartfelt and so special. Uh, mm. And if you love wrestling and if you love kind of family drama uh, and the power of Pierce of perseverance fighting with my family is so good um uh and and then she does midsummer which is just this Mm -hmm. huge genre pick uh and then of course oscar nominations for little women later in the year she's just so Mm -hmm. crazy she's so awesome it's insane oh i'm a huge huge fan of hers now and like I'm, I'm super excited for what is to come because i think she's just insanely talented she is she's Um, yeah she's i think she's one of our greats yeah, uh, she's we'll definitely a wonderkind. Uh, so number 12, John Wick 3. I actually had this one up really high on my list uh, for some time, but I've just had a little... I've kind of had a bit of a, a turn when it comes to my feel. It's not to get political. I really don't want to get political, but uh, I've kind of changed a bit of my feelings about gun violence in movies. Uh, uh, and so I just didn't feel great about having John Wick 3 in my top 10, even, even if there's a part of me that knows, man, it was so badass. And it's just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think last year, maybe it was the year before I called mission impossible seven. I don't remember whatever mission fallout fallout, uh, last year. Yeah, it was last year. The, uh, the kind of the state of the art, uh, John wick three is like the state of the art in like long form choreography and chase films. It just, Mm -hmm. John wick three built the, um, the, the world of those movies and gave you the choreography. I feel in the way that the first two movies promised, but didn't actually come through on, 
Uh, at least for me, I know a lot of people love those first two, hmm. but they, the something about those didn't quite do it for me the way John Wick three does. Uh, and then my, my number one honorable mention, uh, I, I just I just took it off because I wanted to keep my movie my my top ten uh to be fiction. I don't know why. That's mm. that's kinda of silly of me to do, but I just I just didn't want a documentary in my top ten. Just to to have it something aside. But it is the best documentary I saw, and it's horror noir, uh, which mm-hmm. is about the history of black cinema or black people in white cinema. Uh and it's the kind of this really Really awesome deep dive, uh, it kind of talking head narr- narration and they take a lot of, uh, black actors from all these movies that we love, uh, and really sheds light on some of the ways black people were treated in movies. So early on, they, they were, you know, something to be feared. And then later, slave narratives. And then, uh, you get into seventies and it's exploitation. And then you even get into nineties where they're just like the best friend who's gonna die. And then you get someone <laughs> like Jordan Peele who, First makes one of the most triumphant movies about the black experience and race. And then his second movie, Us, just casts black people in a movie that's not about race. And I think that's mm-hmm. so awesome what he did. Uh, and it's really like you can see these actors, these great, uh, these great actors talk about what Jordan Peele's movies means to them and black cinema. And it was really just a powerful experience as a horror fan, as a, as a fan of, uh, uh, I don't know if you could be a fan, but someone who spent a lot of time in race studies in college, Mm -hmm. uh, to blend those two worlds for me together was, was a really triumphant experience. That's cool. That is very, I don't think I'd heard of that, but I'm interested as hell. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Um, real quick, Tony, you haven't done your honorable mention. Not yet. yet. Okay. Yeah. Just real quick, I just want to amend mine and add Midsummer, Us, and Uncut Gems to my honorable mentions. <laughs> you got to uh, have them on yeah. there. They're so good. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, Tiny, what are your honorable mentions for 2019? Um, I agree with Mike. This was a absolutely phenomenal gear for movies. Um, actually, I I think this is... I think this is probably the best overall year of the the last decade. I think wow. if I had to, 2010 is a close second, but in my opinion, yeah. Uh, but I, I, this year was just unbelievable. Uh, it's I, the I, hardest I'm, time I've had picking just ten for sure. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And I mean, as a result of that, for the first time, I have ten honorable mentions. I've never had that many. Jeez, that's awesome. Um, I I will go through them quickly. Um, these are in no particular order. I don't I don't order these. Um, so they're all a number 11, basically. Uh, the Irishman, I was completely prepared to not like. I wasn't enthused for it. Uh, De Niro, Pesci, and Scorsese making a gangster movie is an old equation that worked in the past, and it worked beautifully, but I was not prepared. I, I didn't think I wanted to see that equation put into a film again. But, of course, Martin Scorsese just made it work. Um, the, he is His ability to make his stories nuanced is unbelievable. The movie was long, but it didn't feel that way to me. Honestly, I was into every single scene of that movie, which Mm -hmm. just blew me away. Um, it had its flaws, but I, I can't believe how much I liked the Irishman, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. They made some fantastic choices. I think I was so worried they were going to basically attempt and even succeed in basically deifying Mr. Rogers in this movie. And I, I, I don't think that would have been a good idea. And they did not do that, which was such a beautiful decision. He's basically a supporting character. Yep. And that was such a great idea. So much of his character is observation. Uh, 
were just kind of watching him do his thing. Such a great choice, and of course Tom Hanks was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- they just really hit this on hit the nail on the head when it comes to a Fred Rogers movie, um, Midsummer, which you guys have talked about. Um, I was disturbed by a lot of movies this year, and that's a word you might hear me say a few times. Um, I I didn't realize how much I enjoyed being disturbed. Uh, I, I was beautifully disturbed by Midsummer. Um, the performances, the uh, that the last twenty thirty minutes of just just intensity and and uh the build up in the movie is so subtle and like you don't even realize it's wow, what's being built up to it's really well crafted movie i loved it um frozen 2 surprised the hell out of me i know it's weird wow. to ha- i <laughs> never thought i was going to be bringing that up at the end of the year um i thought disney was just going to cash grab it and make their couple billion dollars off this they could have easily done that but they actually gave us a really nice story that we cared about and did they honored the characters too, uh advanced their characters so i was really pleased with that uh jojo rabbit one of the coolest one-of-a-kind ideas for a movie um the execution was off just a touch i think there could have been I don't know how to make it better. Again, that's not me, but uh, it was missing just something tiny, just something just a little bit uh, that kind of kept it out of my top 10. I think this movie made a lot of top 10 lists mm-hmm. and rightly so. Um, great performances. Um, I love Taika Waititi. Uh, up next is Shazam. Um, oh, wow. Was, uh, was not planning on that liking that movie, movie at all. That was a fun yeah, movie. Really, yeah, really, really fun movie. Great casting performances. I loved it. And it's it took itself seriously at the right time and then joked when it was the right time, too. Like, they struck that balance really well with that movie. Uh, Rewind, which Matt mentioned, um, just some remarkable perspective in that movie. Um, I'll say I, I, I have a couple documentaries I'm going to bring up on this episode, and it's so easy to get lost in the subject matter itself and not pay attention to the actual craft of making the film itself. And uh, I I can say with confidence that there's something so artistic about the documentaries that came out this year. And, and, and this one is falls into that category wholeheartedly with the the fact that there's this filmmaking aspect to it. And um, the the filmmaker is a victim himself. It's, it's, it's really, really an incredible documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain Marvel blew me away. I, I was not expecting to like Captain Marvel that much, but I think the, the context of where it fell in that franchise, I was expecting to just kind of move past it. I thought they might be trying to, uh, kind of shoehorn something into Endgame, you know, uh, but they, mm-hmm. uh, they really made it their own movie and, uh, I love the character and, uh, it was a, it was a nice, pretty subtle movie, uh, despite the, the, uh, enormity of that franchise so i love captain marvel ad astra was gorgeous movie um probably my favorite maybe my favorite brad pitt performance i'm not sure yet oh interesting up there a top one of his top performances yeah that's Mm -hmm. i i dug it um one of my favorite action sequences of the year on the moon um really cool movie and 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 i think yeah, Moon Pirates. Um, so yeah, really cool. And then uh, last but not least, El Camino, uh, Breaking Bad story. Oh yeah, interesting. I did not know how much I missed Vince Gilligan's Albuquerque mm-hmm. until I saw this, and I again I wasn't super enthused about the movie coming out, but mm-hmm. once I sat down with it, I could not take my eyes off it. I loved having a conclusion for uh, a conclusive end for um, Jesse Pinkman. 
and uh, his his ability to infuse humor into those situations just blows me away. I don't know how they do that. It's it's just a beautiful thing, and yeah, I it, loved being it, with those characters again. It was such a genuine, worthwhile experience, El Camino. Yes. I really was like, this. No, it's like five years <laughs> too late on this. Um, right. And man, it was just like I went back in that world, and it was re- it really was a satisfying conclusion to uh, a character who deserved it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And it blew me away too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, just yeah. a note really quick, just listening mm-hmm. to Tiny You Talk. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm so negative about uh, my. I have this tendency when I'm doing honorable mentions to like. To, to, to try to speak ill of them to explain why they're not in the top 10, which is right. such a weird habit of mine. Cause I'm, I'm trying to say that they're great movies. They're just mm-hmm. not the best of the year. Uh, it's, but like when I scroll yeah. through the list and see that there are 40 others below a movie Jeez. like Jojo <laughs> Rabbit, I don't know why I'm trying to explain why Jojo Rabbit mm-hmm. isn't as good. It's great. Right. It's great. Yeah. And I would not argue with anybody who did put it in their top 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, Tiny, do you have any more? No, that's it. That okay. is my, my 10 honorable mentions. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, we're going to dive into our top 10s. However, before we do that, uh, we're going to go into and uh, we're going to cut away and share with you the top 10 films of 2019 from recurring co-host Robert Feckus. Uh, so enjoy that here. Okay. And here is recurring co-host Robert Feckus's uh, top 10 list for 2019. He has at the number 10 position, Knives Out. Number 9, Ad Astra. Number 8, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Number 7, Spider-Man, Far From Home. Number 6, John Wick 3. Number 5, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Number 4, Jojo Rabbit. Number three, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which he joined me for a review on the podcast, as well as a retrospective of uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, filmography. Number two, Avengers Endgame. And Robert Feckes' number one movie of 2019. You don't listen, do you? I don't think you ever really hear me. You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. But you don't listen anyway. I said, for my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. And people are starting to notice. Joker. And that's Fekus's top 10. Uh, thank you so much to Fekus for uh, appear- ha- having so many appearances on the podcast and being willing to put up with my nonsense and everything. So uh, super excited that uh, he is a recurring co-host now. And we're back. Um, interesting interesting top three choices there, Fekus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, palms and uh, <laughs> and uh, cats. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, his number one movie was Joker. Oh, okay. Uh, All right, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, let's go into our top ten. So the way that we're going to do this is we're each going to go, you know, we're going to take turns, ten, nine, eight, seven, all that. Um, however... We have shared our number ones with each other. So if 
the others, one of the others, number ones is on the list. We're going to skip over it. So like tiny, your number one is my number seven. So when I get to my number seven, I'm going to skip and we're going to go around the horn until number one. Uh, does that make sense? Wait, what? Yeah. Why though? Why are we doing that? Just to say, because each one, we each have a separate number one, and I don't want to be like, oh, I'm going to talk about this movie as my number seven, and then Tiny's going to be left with like, oh, this is, in addition to what Matt already said as his number seven, uh, here's what I feel about it being number one. Okay, Does that make sense? so it's not like to not spoil it or whatever? No, no. It's more like, uh Yeah. Uh, so uh, the note I have is if one host number one movie in this is in all caps, <laughs> if one host number one movie appears in the other host list, the other host will skip it. So we will discuss it when the host with it as number one will bring it up for the first time in the episode. Okay. 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 So yeah, I'll get us kicked off with our number 10, uh, with my number 10, and then we'll go around the horn. Um, of course, if we have uh, a number one, one of the others, number ones in our top 10, which we all do, uh, we're going to skip that on our list and go to uh, wait until the number one for the others. Anyway, my number 10. Uh, okay. So my number 10 movie of 2019 was once upon a time in Hollywood. Mm. Um, mm. last year, Fekus and I did a three episode retrospective on the work of Quentin Tarantino. And if you go back and listen to that, I was very, I wouldn't say I was salty on Quentin Tarantino, but I came at that project with this kind of chip on my shoulder that's like, okay, people go fucking insane over Quentin Tarantino. And I'm like, he's fine. He is he is a very stylish director who does not have much substance to his work. That was my that was what I went going into it. Like his movies are beautiful to look at, intricately plotted and incredible dialogue, but Time and time again, I always felt like I came away from it thinking it was very cool and stylish, but there wasn't anything really tethering me to it on an emotional level. Then came Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I was kind of blown away because it is a very beautiful movie in terms of just p- paying homage to this era uh that Quentin Tarantino clearly has a love for his incorporation of Sharon Tate as this angelic presence who's representative of this, this upper echelon of Hollywood star that the main character, uh, has lost favor with or has not been able to attain. And the whole just, it's this very intricately done movie where these, the, this character is on the outskirts of what, where he wants to be. And the last 30 minutes of the movie just blew me away. Just blew me away. It's Quentin Tarantino's revisionist history kind of thing, but with a purpose that I felt very tethered to and connected to. Um, and for the first time, maybe ever, well, the first time since Django Unchained, I'll say, um, I feel like two characters actually had like an emotional chemistry that wasn't talking about foot massages and stuff Hmm. like i just feel like those two characters cliff booth and um rick dalton i feel like those two characters had a bond and that bond was the main through line at a dramatic level throughout the entire movie that actually paid off in a very satisfying way um so yeah so that's my number 10 once upon a time in hollywood uh loved it um yeah that's a great analysis of that movie oh Um, thank you it it missed my list but Mm -hmm. i sort of regret it sometimes uh i love that movie i feel like just real quick i feel like sharon tate's character should have been 
the Sharon Tate character should have been played down a lot more and been like a much, oh, yeah. much more in the background. I thought it was sort of sure. strange how much she was featured, but mm-hmm. I, I, there was so much about that movie to love. Uh, kind of strange. Well, not strange because it's Quentin Tarantino, but in the uh, movie theater scene, it was very strange how she was feet shirt. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I love this movie too. It is later on my list, and it is actually my pick uh, for best picture. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, f- yeah. It's not, it's not my number one of the year, but in in the okay. best picture n- nominees for Academy Award, mm-hmm. uh, I I really hope uh, Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Uh, gets a statue for this one. Well, so nice. I hope is he that gets- your want? Yeah, is that your want or your thought? Like, do you think it's going to win, or do you? want I it don't to know win? yet. I I don't really okay. know. It, it is definitely my want. I haven't really done like <laughs> I haven't listened to the odds makers yet to decide. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think it has a pretty good shot. Um, yeah. Oh, totally. Because they love to pick movies about movies. They yeah. do. It won. Yeah. It won the Golden Globe in the comedy category. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I really, uh, what's the one that won drama? Was it Joker? Did Joker win drama in Golden Globes? Uh, no, it was, um, I want to say Paris. Oh, 1917. Oh yeah. Oh, 1917. Okay. Yeah. Shit. Shit. Okay. So yeah, Hollywood won best picture comedy. Uh, and I, I just don't see 1917 winning best picture i i'm really kind of out of touch with what the buzz is toward the oscars but uh everything i read really is celebrating once upon a time in hollywood and i also think Hmm. they have a tendency to give those like career uh awards you know like leo with the revenant which probably isn't his best work or Hmm. the departed which probably isn't scorsese's best work i do think i do what's that Spike Lee last year? Yes, right, exactly. Yeah. I I do think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is maybe not maybe not his best, maybe not my favorite, but at least second best. Uh so I don't know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um nice. but yeah, I liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too. So I'm going to talk about it a little Sweet. more in in a couple of uh turns from now. Okay. Cool. Uh, who wants to go next for number 10? Uh, Mike, I think, because if we follow the order. Yeah, if, we keep, if yes. we keep going, it is me. So my number 10 mm-hmm. uh, is Us. And uh, mm-hmm. like I said before, this was kind of a little lower on my list. Uh, Horror Noir was up there. Fighting with My Family was up there. But something kind of later on, I watched Us in, I don't know, like November. I showed it to my wife. Uh, and I kind of like, I, I use her, this is going to sound demeaning and it really isn't supposed to. She, she doesn't watch that many movies cause, so she's kind of the, she's kind of the average movie goer, even less than average. Cause she just doesn't, she's not a movie fan, right? I wouldn't even call her the average movie goer. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very smart and, and she can read the movies, but she just, it's not her thing. Uh, and she liked it. And for me, that, that goes a long way in how I feel about us. She actually thinks us is uh, is better than Get Out, it, uh, and I mm. actually disagree with Amanda in that. Uh, I th- I think Get Out is uh, more fo- more powerful. But us, I really liked because it was it was a straight horror movie, um, and so it was cool to see him actually tackle horror uh and and see what he has to say about what a horror movie looks like i think he does a really good job of blending the humor and the horror i think um 
here I go talking about something I didn't like about it. I think he could be <laughs> a little more uh, um, deliberate about what he's trying to say about society. I mean, I think I understand the message, but there there is a little bit of ambiguity in the sci-fi that though I'm on record of not loving ambiguity, I would argue in this case that it leaves a little bit to be desired when it comes to the message he's trying to get across. Um, mm. If they're arguing that the government created them, how and why, and what is that saying about the government? I, I, I think there's, I think there's another layer that's left to be desired that, that keeps this movie at number 10. Uh, however, I think it does a really good job. I really love, uh, the layers he, he does, uh, uh, with his movies and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Lupita Nyango doing two roles is fantastic. Yes. Really a haunting experience. It's, it's one that I'm sure I'm going to watch again. And it's an easy number 10. It's an easy top 10 for me. Nice. Sweet. Awesome. Uh, yeah, Tiny, your number 10? Uh, my number 10 is Ford versus Ferrari. Nice. Dawn of Racing. Yeah. Yeah. Dawn of Racing. Dawn of Justice. <laughs> uh, so I, I know I've mentioned this before, but I struggle every year with, is my top 10 list what I think the best movies are, or are they my favorite movies of the year? And mm-hmm. I, I love so much that Mike is so confidently like, these are my favorite. These are my favorite movies. And, yeah. I think Matt kind of does a blend and like, I, I, I don't know. I basically, my list ends up being a blend. And so I can say with Ford versus Ferrari though, this is a personal like favorite choice. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think it, it wasn't like a technically or a, uh, a technically flawless movie or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like it, 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 it had its problems, but, um, I, being from Indianapolis, loving racing, I like cars and, uh, you know, Carol Shelby's probably, the best custom car maker of all time. You know, uh, there's so many things in my wheelhouse that are featured in this movie. And, and, uh, they did them all to a great effect. Um, I think this is one of Matt Damon's better performances in the last five to seven years. I've really loved him in this, um, as, as Carol Shelby. Um, uh, um, Christian Bale continues to be a chameleon. Um, it's, it yeah. goes without saying that he was fantastic. I, I loved his turn as, as Ken Miles. Um, and, and I think, I think my favorite, uh, part of the film is just the passion of the Ken Miles character and how he's, yeah, it's, it's true of the Carol Shelby character as well, but they're, they're driven, pardon the pun, driven to do <laughs> what they do and they can't not do it. And, and, and that's, that's, that passion is displayed so accurately and 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 just you know it's to the nth degree in this movie and i i loved i loved all that it was it was incredible um being immersed in a behind the wheel around the course of monica of uh um le mans i almost said monaco of le mans is is just something as as a, you know a racing fan that i was completely enthralled by um the depiction of, of speed and the racing itself was top notch. Some of the best I've seen. Um, and, uh, I just seen the creation of the, the GT 40, one of the most 
famous and badass race cars of all time. Just, just hit so many personal notes for me in this movie. It was just off the charts. Um, and, and I think just in general, it's just, it's just a really good, satisfying film. So, um, it, this movie was kind of destined to be in my top 10. Um, and I, I snuck it in right at the end of the year mm-hmm. and it, sure enough, it snuck on my top 10. I, I campaigned pretty hard for you. To you did. It. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I knew I had to. So, um, yeah, it was, it's such a fun movie and, and, uh, just, just really, really well done. I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, if I may break in real quick, there is a, a delicious tweet, um, <laughs> joking about Ford v Ferrari. Um, I did a search and I, I guess the original person is, uh, Jack O'Brien on Twitter. I am Jack O'Brien on Twitter. Uh, his tweet was, <laughs> you either die a Ford or you live long enough to see yourself become the Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just I love that. Would, that, I, would I get that more if I saw the movie? No, uh, oh, okay. it's just a play on the okay. Dark Knight. The, 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 yeah, the quote. Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, awesome, uh, Mike. Any? I just thoughts? haven't seen that one. Oh, yeah, you haven't that, seen it. That, yeah. that's, oh, okay. Uh, blind spot. Okay. For me. How about your number ten? We already did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let me talk about my number nine. Yep. Uh, off to a great start here. <laughs> uh, so my number nine is a documentary. Um, it is Love and Tosha. Um, this is a documentary oh, about yeah. not uh, not even about. It's a documentary celebrating the life and legacy of Anton Yelchin. Uh, Anton Yelchin, of course, I believe it was 2016, tragically died in a just freak accident mm-hmm. um, at a very young age. I think he was 27. Um, it. Like it, like that is one of those, uh, celebrity deaths that really had an effect on me because, like, I was a fan of his work and, like, there was so much left for him to do. Yeah. And Love and Tosha is both a celebration and a eulogy for him as an individual, as a person, and the talent that was robbed from the world just by pure happenstance hmm. by pure accident um it was such an of an, an emotional viewing for me because you have this candid look at this kid who had a prolific career and at once at like you're reminded of how talented he was you're informed about how just genuinely good he was as a person uh like people you know when they have you know, when people pass away, they always speak highly of anyone who passes away. It's uh-huh. just a polite thing to do. But there is such a genuine thing to this to this documentary that you honestly, it feels like you get to know this person on an on an intimate level. And in addition to that, it's also just it's gut wrenching because the entire time I was watching it, I was thinking. This is, this is very candid and it's very, like, it's, it's very thorough and you're seeing just candid footage of him and his craft and everything. But it's also, like, the entire time, it's like, I had this, like, indignation, this, this rage inside me that Anton Yelchin is gone. But Mm -hmm. because of the manner of his passing, it wasn't like, it wasn't, it, it, I didn't have anywhere to put that anger. Like, it's just, it's a complete freak accident. Mm-hmm. And you, it's blame, like, there's nothing, 
it's totally you, there's no yeah there's no lightning rod of for your grief yeah. for that and i'm talking just as a fan of the guy right um but it, it's a beautiful documentary you it's it's incredible and uh you get like there, he has like journals and stuff where he like documented like his thoughts on movies and and everything and like he was a very intelligent young man and it's just it's so so beautiful if you appreciate anton yelchin's uh talent if you are interested in any form of the craft of filmmaking or acting this is a documentary that is for you um it's great it's love and tosha it's my number nine awesome that's awesome yeah Yeah, i didn't get to see that one Mm -hmm. me too Nice. Uh, cool. Uh, so, Mike, what about your number nine? Uh, yep. So it is my number nine, and it is uh, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Nice. Mm. And so Knives Out is just one of the most, um, gosh, what do you call it? Easily enjoyable movies of the year. Mm. And so I kind of, uh, as like I said with these bottom three, I kind of debated having this one at the top ten because um, a lot of the pre- um, pre-release hype of this movie, what it was that you just, you won't believe the twists that this movie oh, yeah. has to offer. And I just, <laughs> um, putting that aside after I saw the movie, I don't think it's a very twisty movie. Um, yeah. So once you kind of get past that, if you can just kind of let the experience wash over you, it's so entertaining. And, um, yeah. the caliber of characters that they got, to do kind of smaller, thankless roles uh, is just stunning to me, and I think more than anything that that when I think about what I what is so great about that movie, it is that you know Chris Evans' role is kind of a little bigger, especially in, uh, in the second act and and later on. But early on, there's not much for him to do. Lakeith Stanfield, who is kind of a, a, an up and comer, maybe mm-hmm. kind of even higher than that, is kind of just a side character. My my dear, dear, sweet Jamie Lee Curtis is really just a supporting role. You get uh, Tony Collette, who is just sizzling yes. hot, just doing a side role fantastically. Everybody is so great. Uh, you know, Christopher Plummer, I wish there was more of him. Um, yeah. And so for me, what sticks out, I think, most is those performances in really thank- thankless roles where you can all just kind of tell that they're having fun and they all think that mm-hmm. they're making a great movie. Uh, and in the end, they, they really are. It's, it's probably the one on this list. I, I, I'm most excited to watch again. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm going to speak about that later. Uh, I do want to mention that since seeing it for the first time, I think I've seen it a total of four times. Oh, wow. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to talk about it later too. Nice. Cool. All right. right on. Awesome. Uh, yeah, Tiny? Yeah, my number nine is a, a documentary called One Child Nation mm. uh, on Amazon Prime. Um, I I briefly mentioned my kind of attitude towards documentaries in my honorable mentions where it's very easy to get lost in the information or the subject that's mm. being do- depicted. And it's so easy to say, I loved this documentary because the subject matter is so shocking or amazing or beautiful. And, and that's sort of something that I fall into when I'm watching a documentary, but I can say with one child nation, I think what really makes it remarkable is the perspective of the filmmaker. Um, she is an, she was 
born in China during the one child policy and she was educated in the United States later on and uh, so she speaks English very well um and she she kind of goes back to talk to her parents and a bunch of other people about what that was like uh living in that uh, that policy and and what's so fantastic about it is it's you know it's so easy for us to dismiss that policy and label the mindset of 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 Chinese citizens as you know being brainwashed essentially, and and watching the documentary, I, maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe maybe it's not brainwashing. Maybe you know I, I think I think we can come to a moral conclusion. Obviously, I think it's pretty morally conclusive that that was a horrific policy. Mm-hmm. But if you ask some of the Chinese people, they don't feel that way, and and still don't feel that way in 2019. Right. And that absolutely blew me away. And and the objectivity of the of the filmmaker who is was a victim essentially of this policy to objectively depict that notion and that dynamic of of Chinese citizens in 2019 just really blew me away and and her her ability to point out the immorality of of that policy while still respecting the opinion of these people was just remarkable to me and she did that beautifully uh and it it was it was so personal while still giving us a great amount of information and and just shining a light on this awful thing and it's so easy to kind of hear these horror stories about this policy and it's it, it's it's one of those things where you can you know you're not sure what's fact and what's fiction or what's embellished and it sort of clarifies some things about I think most people were aware of that this was an actual policy, but they don't know the details. And this documentary dives into some details while still just being such a personal thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it was so well done. And I, I, I knew I was going to like it, but I, I wasn't prepared for how emotionally, how emotional I was going to get, uh, with this documentary. Um, it's, 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 there's just some, some really stark, beautiful, juxtapositions in the movie that are so well done and uh uh i highly recommend checking it out um rent it if you don't have amazon prime uh, i i recommend it it's it's a it's 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 chilling and beautiful and disturbing which is again that's a word i'm going to say quite a bit uh with my top 10 um it's a great movie please please go see it nice yeah. uh i watched it and I, I got a lot out of it i think i watched it pretty late at night and it was kind of an Drifting in and out kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, but very uh, eye-opening and, and uh, amazing. So yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah, Mike, did you get a chance to see no. One Child Nation? No, I did yeah. not. Sounds great though. Sweet. Yeah. It's yeah. Great. Um, so shall I continue with my number eight? Please. Okay, my number eight is a French film called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm. French film that actually the Indiana Film Journalist Association awarded the uh, best special presentation at Heartland Film Festival award to um and I didn't get a chance to see it until <laughs> well after Heartland but anyway uh the plot summary is in 18th century Fran- France a young painter in 18th century Fa- France a young uh painter Marianne is commissioned to do the wedding portrait of Heloise without her knowing um I'll leave it at that it is a beautiful beautiful romantic drama about these two women who have this bond and what they do with it. Um, I said in my letterbox review, um, 
that there's a moment late in Portrait of a Lady on Fire where one character wakes up in bed before the other and stares at her lover, lover still sleeping. It's a look that brings out that feeling of waking next to someone you love and having that yearning and security and knowing that it is one of countless times you will wake up next to them. It's a look of love in one of the pure, one of its purest forms. Um, but the scene carries with it an emotional intensity given the, given by the painful context of these two women's circumstances. Um, it's just like it, that type of energy permeates throughout the entire movie and it's just it is such a stunning just visceral dramatic film uh that i was really just enraptured by mm-hmm. uh, so that's portrait of a lady on fire that's my number eight <laughs> mm-hmm. movie of 2019 i i'm looking forward to that one yeah it's it's good it does have a wide release february uh, 14th so yeah our friend ben wrote a nice <laughs> little blurb about that he did yeah, yeah. And he has a review that's going to post on February 4th. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mike, want to hit us with your number eight? Yeah, my number eight is Ready or Not. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. I missed that one too this year. Mm. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so Samara Weaving uh, leads a cast. Um, kind of a, a mid-level star-studded cast. It doesn't really have the the clout of Knives Out, but it's great nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, I love I loved Ready or Not so much. It's I think a lot of people have I'll say unfairly compared it to Your Next in the horror genre, right? This yeah. uh this woman who is thrust into an impossible situation where she meets the family of her betrothed. Uh, well, in this case, her husband, they get married, um, mm. and things go, uh, deathly awry. Um, but I think this one, as much as I love your next, I think this one is, has a little more bite with its social commentary, uh, and what it has to say about the 1% and what they're kind of willing to sacrifice for their wealth. Um, and at the same time, I think it does a better job than your next of offering humanity to our hero, uh, Samara Weaving's character. There's a scene where, um, and this is a bit of a spoiler, so you might just kind of shut your ears for 30 seconds where, starting now, uh, we're about halfway through the film, um, you know, as she realizes that this family is trying to kill her, she kind of straps up like she's got this bandolier uh, and a rifle that she's carrying through the house. And it's kind of like this badass, you know, chick with a gun moment. And she catches a glimpse in herself in the mirror and is like, what the hell is this? And I just, <laughs> I love that little ounce of humanity they gave her that like, this is not some hero turn that they're thrusting on this, this woman who just out of nowhere becomes a superhero. Even she goes, this isn't me. What the hell am I getting myself into? But what the, the desire of the family, the, the rich, the socialites, the 1% has pushed her to do, uh, is kind of shocking both to her and to us. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of over explaining the commentary of the movie, but mm-hmm. aside from that, it's also really fun. Uh, I laughed quite a bit. The action is great and the finale is, so satisfying um i i can't imagine not watching it and not cheering at the end i really really loved ready mm-hmm. or not it uh, it'll probably make it on one of my future like best of shocktober lists so uh that's nice. that's awesome. my number what am i eight number eight yes uh that's awesome i really liked ready or not 
I just saw a lot of other movies, um, but <laughs> uh, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, um, good I really stuff. want to see that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Tiny, your number eight. Uh, my number eight is another documentary. Um, my last one. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, it's Apollo Eleven, which uh, nice. I think you was an honorable mention for you, yes. Matt. Um, I actually don't have a ton to say about it, and that's because the 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 shining aspect of this film that makes it one of the coolest documentaries I've ever seen is the fact that it's, it's the format. There's, there's mm-hmm. no talking heads in this movie. It is not a talking head documentary. It is a compilation of actual footage, mm-hmm. uh, news footage, actual film from the Apollo 11 mission. And it's compiled into a narrative like a narrative style telling of what happened that day. It's it's like you're sitting down in front of the TV to watch the whole news broadcast of mm-hmm. what happened that day in a narrative style. And it had, it was unbelievable because it had these moments of drama. It had moments of comedy. There was there were jokes being told over the radio mm-hmm. with tens of thousands of miles of distance, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles of distance between these people. It's just phenomenal how they connected over jokes over the radio and I I never would have expected that from this documentary. Um there's 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 hope, there's there's terror, there's drama, there's all these emotions that they hit in a narrative way without a head sitting there or a voiceover explaining something to you, which is something I'm not sure I've seen from a documentary before. Um who whoever had the idea for this <laughs> documentary was just brilliant and 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 this is it was such a good idea to to do it this way and and i it's funny because you sit there and there will literally be minutes where there's like nothing said and you're literally mm-hmm. watching a, a line on the screen of of a, of a space you know a space shuttle going through space and it's you would think that that would bore the crap out of you. And I'm sure there were people who were pretty bored by this documentary. I could not take my eyes off it the Same. whole time. It was just so enthralling. And I knew, you know, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what's going to happen. Everybody knows what happens. It's the most watched event in human history. Mm-hmm. Um, but still they managed to make it so compelling. And I, I was just completely blown away by this documentary. I, I can't recommend it enough. I, it makes me wish I was a science teacher and I could force my kids to watch it. You know, one of those kinds of things. Um, please go see this movie. I, I, I hope everyone likes it as much as I did. I hope I'm not the weirdo here and you know, I don't know. I, I thought it was just a truly phenomenal film. Most watched event in human history, aside from Shocktober Nervington. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a given. (laughs) Goes without saying. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I agree with everything. I, I've already talked about my honorable mentions. Mike, did you get a chance to catch Apollo 11? Nope. Again. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of diversity lot in of, the, like, yeah, a lot our, of unique oh, yeah. lists this year. I like it. It's oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, having said that, <laughs> my number seven is Tiny's number one. Okay. And my number six is Mike's number one. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. I'm going to bow out. Yeah. If you guys want to go ahead and bounce off seven and six, and I'll come back for five. Yeah. So I'll start with seven. Uh, and seven was actually the last movie I watched of 2019, and it is Parasite. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, Best Picture nominee, um, Bong Joon Oh. And so it is from South Korea. Uh, and I prefer it to his previous movie, Snowpiercer. I, hmm. I thought Parasite was m- one of the most engrossing, 
uh, dramas of the year. I'm not a, I'm not a huge, like, of, I, I love all of these movies. I, uh, drama is kind of low on my list. Um, I don't know, mm-hmm. would you call this a drama? A social thriller? It's so ele- it, wrapped up. It is. It's so, it's, yeah. it's so unique. But anyway. Um, another, another social commentary film, which I think is so strong. I love, I mean, just kind of the title parasite, like who is the parasite? It shows, uh, kind of the, the stereotypical parasitic poor family on the poster. Uh, but you learn, or at least the film hopes that you learn pretty quickly that both, um, the rich family and the poor family are, are equally parasitic. Um, and it's just a movie that plays with that theme. Um, and really took you to places you didn't expect. It has the twist. Yeah. <laughs> I think funny enough <laughs> yeah. that people said knives out had, uh, and I mean, there were just scenes where my mouth was agape watching and waiting and wondering what's going to happen next, uh, to both of it to both of the families it's funny like i don't really think there's a point where you hate even the rich family and even the mm-hmm. depths to which the poor family goes to you certainly don't hate them either it's just this is this is what society has brought us to um and that's true in america and it's true in south korea and i i think it's really cool um to to see a a foreign film um speak about such a universal truth mm-hmm. mm. i loved it for that yeah well said i'm going to bring that up later <laughs> uh yeah i'm going to bring it up now cuz it's my number 7 All too right, right nice. on. Some parasite. uh i champion everything you just said mike that was that was well said um i I, I li- especially the part where I th- there's no like clear bad guy right. in this movie. Yeah, a- a- but ev- every character does something that you kind of wrinkle your nose at, and you're like, "That's not right," you know, that you shouldn't do that. Uh, but you also sympathize with pretty much all of them at, <laughs> at one point or another, and that's that is such a difficult balance to strike. Right. Uh, with so many characters, such a big cast of characters, um, and and I think the Again, the the juxtaposition of the, the the lower class versus upper class, poor rich that that dynamic was fun to explore and and see how you know money doesn't make you a good person and and at the same time struggling and being poor doesn't make you entirely sympathetic. You know, uh, it's it, it was so such a cool space to explore, um, and and it's it's really fun how it. It uh, that that message permeates culture across the world because, like you know, Mike said, this is a South Korean movie, and I, I think the the features of the characters and the way they interact with each other permeates cultures across. Like like it's it, it's not it's not specific to North Korea or the United States or the West or the East or Asia or anything like this. Is a a very universal film that I think I think it's gonna completely make its way across the globe and, and, and translate with audiences all across the globe. Totally. Um, and again, that's not something you can always achieve. Um, and yeah, it's just such that the, there another fun word to throw around about this movie is the choreography of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a lot of fun 
choreography involved in the movie. It's not, it's not a dance. It's not a fight, but there's choreography to this movie. That's mm-hmm. really impressive and fun and has you on the edge of your seat and flinching. It's, it's, it's so well crafted. Um, I'm glad that it's getting the love that it really deserves. Sure. Uh, this is a great movie. And I'll just step in here and say I'm going to talk about it later, of course. And Kirsten and I actually uh, reviewed it uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast. So check that episode out. Oh, nice. Link in the show notes. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Uh, so, yeah, uh, since I'm bowing out for these two, uh, number sixes. Okay. Mike, so number six. my number six, uh, finally pay off uh, talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, and I struggled nice. with this movie a little bit. I think Matt and I kind of had a really good dialogue about um, Brad Pitt's character, Cliff Booth, and kind of his, um, I'll say, time, I'll, I'll, I'll say cr- uh, chronological, chronologically appropriate misogyny. And I don't think it's mm-hmm. on display, and I don't think it's offensive, but it does ask you uh, to... Um, sympathize with a character who might have done a bad thing. And I, I don't want to spoil, mm-hmm. uh, but it like right. glorifies that character later on in the movie, even though about halfway through you, f- it suggests that he might have done an awful thing. And so I kind of had a little bit of trouble playing with that. Um, but Matt kind of talked me through that. And I think the ambiguity of that, um, really, I don't think it sets that character free, but at least allows you to think more deeply about that character. And if you come on the side of, man, I really do like the charisma of this character, it allows the rest of the movie breathes for you and you, you're allowed to kind of care about it. Um, they, I, uh, forgive me for saying this. I know you guys live in Speedway and Tiny. I know you especially love cars. I don't love cars and I don't <laughs> particularly enjoy scenes of driving, but the scenes where Cliff is just driving around Hollywood are so beautiful. Yes. Like I could just watch a compilation of scenes of bad Brad Pitt driving around uh 1969 Hollywood again because it was so stunning to watch. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a... It's, um, you know, Quentin Tarantino is wont to do those long takes of things that where like the information isn't front and center, but he, he rarely lets just a moment breathe and say, look at, look at this picture I'm showing you and how beautiful it is of this time that was so beautiful. And, and Mm. to me, it's the juxtaposition of him driving around. Uh, paired with the ending of the movie that, that's so striking. Like, look, look what this used to be and look what the world could have stayed had it not yes. been for the Manson murders. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's not a spoiler to say that, that the movie ends there. Right. I, you know, I won't say what happens, but the movie ends there. Um, and, and kind of, it kind of forces us to ask a question about, you know, what that, what the world looked like afterwards. Uh, and I think that's so awesome. I think it's a more powerful, uh, revision than his, um, Inglorious Bastards choice. Uh, agreed. Which 100%. was just yeah. like, Hitler's awful. Fuck that guy. Let's shoot him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That like, was Nazis fun. Are yeah, terrible. that was fun. Let's kill him. That was fun. This, this was like, I had so much more substance 
um, to it. I, yes. I, I think really one of Brad Pitt's best performances. Um, mm. my God, when he's on the roof and he takes his shirt off, like I'm in love. I, I, it's no secret <laughs> that I have a strong, strong love, uh, for Brad Pitt. And I just think he delivers so much in this role, in the, in this role. Um, there's so much to love about this movie and I can see it over time. Um, becoming just one of my favorites of all time. I, I really, I, nice. I left the theater conflicted, but it's a movie I haven't stopped thinking about in months. That's number, awesome. Number six, nice. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Makes me want to watch it again. Yeah, it holds up very well. And I was trying to find a tweet. Um, I think, I think Variety or someone or somewhere, uh, tweeted, like they actually, in response, I don't know, to your point about the, uh, the pur- purported, purported controversy and everything. There was an article that was like, we counted every line of dialogue that a woman speaks in all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Oh my God. Um, stop. Yeah. But the response, like the reply to it, uh, I was trying to find it. It's, I, I read it on the, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, uh, review episode I did with Fekus, but it's, it's hysterical. Um, just the, the, someone's reply to that tweet. But anyway, yeah, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. Loved it. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Uh, um, that's your number tiny, six. Tiny, your number tiny? six. Yeah. My number six, uh, was already mentioned by Mike. It's, uh, Jordan Peele's Us. Nice. Awesome. Um, yeah. The, the best time I had in the theater this year, uh, which actually <clears throat> didn't have a lot to do with my, my selecting it for this, uh, for this list, but, um, uh, that was a noteworthy experience in the theater. Um, I, I, I don't, it's so funny that I, I don't know how to feel about this movie on so many different levels. Um, because I think it is ambiguous. Um, like Mike was mentioning, and I'm a big fan of ambiguity. I, I kind of love that writers, directors, performers, whoever trust their audience to come to, their own conclusion or, you know, as cliched as that is to say, um, I enjoy playing with that as a, an audience member. And and I think this movie has plenty of ambiguity, whether intentional or not to, to play with as, as a, as a, as a viewer. Um, and, and to come back to the word disturbed, I would, this is the movie that disturbed me the most of anything this year. And it's not even like fun, disturbing. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to see this movie again. Because of how I I was like physically uncomfortable watching parts of this movie, yeah. and I mean that as a high high compliment to Jordan Peele and company in this movie. Um, I I'm not sure what his message was on so many different levels, uh, I, and I don't really care. I, I don't I don't care what his message was because <laughs> I'm not sure that he wanted us to care. I, I think he just wanted to make a horror movie and make us all think. And I thought about the movie. I have been thinking about the movie a lot. Um, I kind of have to look away when the, when the trailer pops up when I'm watching TV or whatever. Uh, Cause just the memories of, of all the things in this movie that stuck with me um, really just come back to the forefront and flood my memory. Um, I also wanted to mention how, I don't know if it was just because of the theater experience, but uh, just the the, the comedy mm-hmm. and the the funny moments uh, worked so well in the movie, um, and were such a fun counter to all the disturbia that's that's distributed throughout the movie. Um, 
that was super enjoyable. Loved the cast. One of my favorite casts of the year mm. uh, by far. But um, yeah, just, just one of those movies that makes you think, but you don't necessarily come to a conclusion. And, and I, I think that's fun. And I had a lot of fun with that, with this movie in a disturbing way. Sweet. Yep. Hey, not to um not to mansplain. I feel so bad, but you you just <laughs> some of what you said like made me remember what I loved about it. Do you mind if I take a stab at some of the social Please. commentaries trying to make? And yeah. and and I just honestly I'm not like trying to preach, but it's like I forgot to mention this during mine. I think mm-hmm. the the part of the message that I loved so much is what he's trying to say is uh, or bring to light is the lengths to which we'll go to ignore or hide um, the less desirable parts of our society, like i.e. Oh, yeah. poor people, mm-hmm. the lower class. But what he suggests by, can I spoil the movie? Um, let me let me just say if uh, I'm about eh. to spoil it, maybe skip ahead the 30 seconds. Uh, I will set my timer right now and keep it under 30 seconds. <laughs> Ready. Set, uh, go. So skip to 30 seconds now. Um, what he's suggesting by the twist at the end that she all along was the girl from the underground is that it really has so much less to do with who you are as a person that gives you success as it does just your surroundings. So she could have mm-hmm. been just as successful if she had had the life that she was supposed to have. Interesting. Hmm. That is an interesting yeah. idea. And so yeah. that it, that ultimately that I think is the commentary. We're we're back thirty seconds later. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I think that's the commentary he's trying to to make. And when I kind of played with that, really after the second time I saw the movie, is when I decided to put it in my top ten because I thought that was a really nice. sharp thing to say. Well said. Interesting. I like that. Yeah, that's I like good. That a lot. That's good analysis. Thank yeah. You. Um, <clears throat> from a movie that's hard to analyze. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah for, for sure. And I and I think you could. I think there's an argument to be made that I'm, I'm off base. Mm. I, I could be. I, yeah. yeah, I think that movie asks us to do that, and I love it for that. Yeah, but it's also open to interpretation. I like that we can have different readings of it. Right. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. Yep. Which is arguably the whole point of all of this. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so am I back in with number five? Yes, sir. Top All five. Right. Here we go. These are the these are the little more maybe solid, less debatable <laughs> of ours, right? Yeah, uh, I agree. Yes. Uh, so my number five is a movie that if I revisit it, it might move to a different spot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that solid. But uh, my number five is The Lighthouse. Um, oh, okay. Yes. Uh, this is such an engrossing weird movie and it is so hard to quantify exactly what what this movie does to you on on just a a physical level just watching it you're in this lighthouse with these two men the aspect ratio is is super tight it's black and white weird shit is going on but it's going on kind of secondarily to the weird stuff that the men are doing. And it's not something that they're under a spell or something. It's just this, uh, very living thing between them that is happening, um, throughout the entire duration of the movie. And it's so, I mean, just the writing alone, like, um, uh, Robert Eggers, his 
period appropriate dialogue. Like it, we saw it in The Witch, and now we see it in The Lighthouse. Like the dialogue is so just immersive, and that's what I come back to all the time with this movie. Is it is such an immersive um, movie, and it is it is so just bonkers batshit crazy and i haven't revisited it since the theater i did review it with ben on the podcast but i will say that i mean my thoughts about it haven't faltered uh in the half year since i've seen it um it's still just right there and i'm i'm eager to see it again when i have a chance to see it again but like the memories i have of it are just so some of the most unique things that i saw in in any 2019 movie um, so that's it. The Lighthouse, number five. I really enjoyed it. Did either of you get a chance to see it? No. I did. I, I okay. saw it, and uh, it's, I, I agree. It's definitely a good movie. It wasn't quite – it didn't quite connect with me to the point where I wanted to put it on my list anywhere. Gotcha. Um, but definitely um, a really unique movie. And I, I it's funny um, – I think one of my favorite things about it is actually the technical aspects of mm. it. The set that they built for it, um, the lighthouse itself mm. is not like a real lighthouse that they filmed <laughs> in. Um, and just the, uh, uh, some of the makeup work, which if you see the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. Sure. Um, and, and, uh, and just the, just the, the insanity of it yeah. is, is pretty engrossing. Um, mm. it's, it's a cool movie. Um, just, the weirdness kind of threw me a little bit and it, it sort of disconnected from for me. Sure. But, uh, but a cool movie for sure. Yeah. Mike, if you ever get a chance to see it, I would love to pick your brain about it. Yeah. Um, I'd be really curious what you thought. Yeah, Mike. for sure. I, I need to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Nice. Uh, but for now, what's your number five? So my number five is the peanut butter Falcon. Uh, Interesting. Cool. directed by Tyler Nilsson, Michael Schwartz, uh, and produced by Shia LaBeouf, kind of like one of his, mm-hmm. um, you know, return to prestige acting. And I've, I've like always been a fan of Shia LaBeouf. I loved him <laughs> really as like a child actor, even Stevens. I thought it was great. I liked <laughs> his first couple of steps into acting. Uh, and then we all know his widely publicized fallout with the media and he's had a lot of struggles. And, um, you know, I was, I, I was never quick to write him off because I know a lot of his struggles came from having a weird relationship with his father. Uh, and so I, I think he's led a very difficult life. So it's kind of cool to see him, um, on the mend and taking acting seriously and doing movies like Honey Boy, which I haven't seen yet. Uh, and then this movie, 2019's The Peanut Butter Falcon, which is just, one of the sweetest movies. Um, so it's about Shia LaBeouf who plays a crab fisherman in North Carolina who is just trying to escape his life as well as some people he owes bunny. Uh, and then on the other side is this young man with Down syndrome who escapes uh, at, like an old folks home. Like the only place he has to go is this old folks home. So he's like a young, he's like a 23 year old kid who they don't, the state doesn't know where to put, so they just put him in an old folks home. And, you know, his t- entire life, he's been treated like an outcast, like someone who, with Down syndrome that, that people don't want to look at. Um, and just because, uh, Shia LaBeouf's character just treats him, 
uh, humanely, uh, and, and, and like an equal. And it's really such a beautiful, sweet story of these two guys and kind of almost like their, their, uh, Huck Finn adventures as they're traveling, mm. uh, hmm. down North Carolina, uh, and they're trying. So the, the young man with Down syndrome, I'm, I'm forgetting the characters' names. Uh, the, the one guy, who's not Shia LaBeouf, wants to go see, like, his wrestling idol, uh, who will teach him, like, all the special moves of, of wrestling, played by Thomas Hayden Church, and they go to find this guy, and, and, uh, Dakota Johnson is, like, his keeper, and is going to find him, and, and it ends up being about the three of them, uh, on their journey, uh, there's elements of coming of age, elements of, like, best friend stories, um, and it's really just this sweet, story of of treating people as equals that i just um i there's not a lot of uplifting movies that i see you know with with as many horror movies as you see it's kind of (laughs) nice when you see something just as sticky sweet as the peanut butter falcon uh and i just loved it so much it's an easy number five for me nice um i saw that uh i will say that your opinion has made me kind of curious to maybe down the road vi- revisit it again. Yeah, I wasn't too I wasn't too crazy about it to be honest. But if you want to hear my thoughts, go check it out on Letterboxd. Okay. I posted a little blurb. But uh, you know, I, well said. I also love wrestling, uh, and so mm-hmm. there were some old wrestlers, Mick Foley and Jake the Snake Roberts were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also, for some reason, I have this affinity toward like Bayou movies and like North Carolina. Oh, interesting. And, and mm. that kind of. Um, like southeastern movies uh mm-hmm. that first that okay. speak to me for some reason I, it's it's like i would hate to live there but they're always sure. filmed so well like you can mm-hmm. you can smell it and you can see the heat and it's nice. something that's not very common it, like i mean it's not hollywood it's, totally. it's something different totally but i mean you're right on the money it is a very sweet movie and uh yeah but it, i just couldn't connect to it but I'm glad you could. Yeah. I really want to see that one. I had a relative who passed away who had Down syndrome. Oh, okay. Wow. I lo- loved him dearly, so I think there's some themes in there that I'd really connect to. For sure. For yeah. sure. Uh, cool. Uh, so my number five, we're going to skip because it's Matt's number one. Ooh, nice. So, Matt, what's your awesome. number four? So my number four, uh, this is where we get into the good stuff with me. <laughs> uh, number four, uh, this is the one movie that I did not get a chance to revisit in preparation or like i i think this is one movie where i haven't seen it twice or T- recently tiny did you do your number five we skipped it because it's matt's number oh, okay, one okay gotcha all right i'm yeah. so sorry yeah oh you're good uh my number four is dr sleep mm. um so my god uh, like it is it's coming out on digital tuesday and i am pumped to revisit it because i haven't got a chance to see it again um talk about just Mike Flanagan has such a commanding eye for King's work in particular. And it's a shame shaking, that we're not I'm allowed to... I'm shaking my head like an amen yes yeah. right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a shame that we can't like Stephen King anymore and his career is over since uh, he's been canceled. Oh, come but, on. <laughs> check out Tower Junkies. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> no, but uh, Mike Flanagan just... like. He not only has his finger on the pulse of horror, like, I, I would even say mainstream horror, because that's what I would consider myself to be a, a horror fan of, is just mainstream horror. Um, but he has his finger on the pulse of that. Like, I watched Hush for the first time this year, 
And my God, that movie's amazing. And he's just incredible. Um, and he has such, I don't think there has been a filmmaker who has had a stronger grasp so quickly of Stephen King's work since Frank Darabont. Mm, yep. And I like, that is a weighty, weighty statement. Um, but I loved Dr. Sleep. I loved how it meld the uh, Kubrick's version of S- the shining with the novel <coughs> And it's just, it's something that I feel like it's a magic trick that he pulled off so spectacularly well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, I wrote a review of Dr. Sleep, uh, as a guest writer on hypable.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, loved, loved, loved the movie. And we're going to be reviewing it on Tower Junkies here soon. Yeah. So yeah. When you, uh, when you talk about mainstream horror and, and popular horror, it, it we've mm-hmm. been living in James Wan's world since 2008. Mm. I mean, I know he did yeah. Saw in 2005, but really like Insidious and Conjuring, the, the, mm. the, the, and those two movies aren't connected, but both of their respective universes, uh, it really has been the style of horror for like the last decade is James mm. Wan. Uh, I, I really think Mike Flanagan's eye has supplanted that. I, I think we're living yeah, in the nice. Mike Flanagan era, era of horror. I and disagree with that. Makes me so happy. Yeah, me too. Ahead, oh, I disagree with your number four ranking. As such, okay, I'll talk mm-hmm. about Doctor Sleep later. <laughs> nice. Me too. Sweet. Uh, so, what's your number four then, Mike? Well, it's not Doctor Sleep, and it's <laughs> your number one. So, I'm gonna wait to talk about it later. Alrighty, Tiny, you number four. Uh, my number four has been mentioned by Mike already. It's Knives Out. Oh, nice. Um, I, God, this movie was so fun. This is my favorite cast of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, just, I could, I could go on for 20 minutes about how great the performances are and, and this movie. Uh, and they had such little dialogue to work with because, you know, with an ensemble cast, you only, you can only get what you can get. Mm -hmm. And, and Tony Collette had like 30 lines in the whole movie. And I, I just absolutely adore that woman. She's so good. Uh, I, I could just go on and on. Um, uh, I'll also mention Anna de Armas. Uh, I she I have had my eye on her because uh, I hope nobody takes offense to this because she's stunningly gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like her roles that she's had so far up to Knives Out have sort of been about how beautiful she is. You know, in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, she was basically a sex object, mm-hmm. um, and uh, she's been love interest and stuff like that. And in this yeah, movie, same with Knock Knock. Right, exactly, yeah. Uh, and so this role for her was the antithesis of that. The, her role was not all at all about how beautiful she is, and she is a great actress. I was so happy to see how phenomenal she was. She she really did a great job with her role. Um, so that I just as performances go, I ha- that has to be said. I'm so excited for her future career, uh, Anna de Armas. But. Um, I think whodunit stories and murder mystery stories are such a trope and, and everybody can connect to them. Even if they're not your thing, what's so great about them is you can't help but wonder who done it. You sit there and you form these theories in your head because you can't help but do it. And that's why there's, it's such a, like a, almost a universal genre or sub genre of film to make. And Ryan Johnson took that and, made it his own and poked fun at it and, and had fun with it and, and just brought us all along on that journey with, with this movie. Um, and, and sort of what, to what Mike was saying about it, I wasn't sitting there 
throughout this movie thinking, okay, who did this? Who who done it? I don't I don't know who I don't know who the killer is, mm-hmm. and I didn't care. And I, I I that's that's another thing that's if I'm thinking about like uh, last year or the year before, I can't remember when uh, Murder on the Orient Express the mm-hmm. the remake came out. You know that was that was a good movie, and I didn't have any experience with it, and and uh, I found myself thinking, I don't know who did this, and I was, mm-hmm. and that's fun, and I, I enjoyed it. That was a fun movie, but with this movie with Knives Out, uh, Ryan Johnson. Made a whodunit without thinking us, without making his audience wonder who done it. It's it's sort of a weird, yeah, a weird. Um, if there's a twist comparison. to be had, it happens halfway through the movie, right, right. Yeah. And I, I agree, it wasn't a twisty movie too. I, I think that was a good, a good point, Mike. It was just a, uh, it was just fun. It was just so wildly entertaining, and and I, um, I I can't wait to see it again. This is this is going to be a purchase and a mm-hmm. rewatch multiple time type type movie, and and I can't wait to see it again. Totally, such a good movie. Um, yeah. So here's something unique. Um, my number four or number three. So <laughs> what I'm what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna double up and do my number three and number two. Okay. Because I have some kind of interesting things to say about both of them together. Uh, so if you guys don't mind indulging me, these both are movies that have been talked about before already. So kind of to expedite things a little bit, I guess. Um, so okay. my number three is Knives Out. And my number two is Parasite. Hmm. Now, what I want to say, first of all, Knives Out, I want to just comment that it, to your point, Tiny, and Mike, to your point as well, um, the idea of Knives Out being a whodunit and then flipping that in an unexpected way I, what i like the kind of the cute kind of thing that i'm thinking is that it's less of a who done it and more of a what was done mm. and that the mm. way that that side of the story unravels i thought was very satisfying and twisty in its own right not conventionally twisty um i do want to mention and i tweeted this and I, this is my head canon for all of eternity um there's a there's a scene early in the film where Marta, played by Anna de Armas, she is going into her kitchen and her sister is watching something on her laptop. And you overhear the dialogue. The dialogue is uh, like some kind of crime show uh, where uh, someone is grilling a suspect and they are um, uh, uh, oh god, hang on. Um, I want to make a callback but I can't. Oh, someone's roughing up a suspect. Um <laughs> And they, uh, yeah, it's, it's just overheard, but it, it took my second viewing to realize this, but it is, it is the obligatory Joseph Gordon Levitt cameo appearance in a Ryan Johnson movie. And my personal uh, headcanon, yeah, my personal headcanon is that she is watching some, like, fake sequel to Brick. Um, that's what I'm going with, and that's for all of eternity. That's what it's going to be. But the reason why I want to double this up with Parasite, uh, I, like Parasite's an incredible movie. It's my number two. Reviewed it with Kirsten a few weeks ago. Um, all the things you guys said have said is is spot on. I think it is such an incredible movie. Like <coughs> Parasite, to me, reminds me, Mike, of something that you said about Birdman. Um, that you had said that you had read that, uh, um, Inuritu, uh, held up like a picture of Philippe 
uh, uh, the guy who walked the wire between the World Trade Center oh, and said yeah. that this is what we're yeah he said like this is what we're trying to do here hmm. and I feel like that's a similar type of thing with uh with with Parasite because yeah. it is so intricate and it is so just flows so well hmm. um, but the reason why I wanted to double up is that this year and this could be a completely different like long conversation but just. I, I love the kind of symmetry or parallel thinking throughout the fil- a lot of filmmakers throughout the year. Um, and what I mean by that is Knives Out, Parasite, Us, and one other one that I'm forgetting already. <laughs> um, Us, oh, and uh, Ready or Not. All about kind of less so with Ready or Not, but more about like, status uh the haves and the have nots the one percent and the 99 percent uh oh like why there's not i don't think it's less so with ready or not okay well i, I mean just fully. in terms yeah but i think like there's there's such a similarity with particularly knives out and parasite because i mean both movies take place at a uh, almost entirely in a single lo- single location and it is like it is about like those that can <clears throat> combative relationship between the two. And I just think that that's a very evocative thing for our time that we're living in now. And it's just, it's so interesting that that is like, you can pick up that through line throughout so much art that came out last year. That is prestige art and well done art. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I wonder, I wonder if this is the good art I kind of tweeted about, uh, when our current president was elected, I think I said, you know, one thing's for certain, we're going to get some really good mm-hmm. art uh, yeah. the next couple of years. And, I think this yeah, is that that's paying right. off. Yep. Yeah. And I think about that, I think about that tweet a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like, that's like the one thing where it's like, okay, we're in a hellish a nightmare hellscape, but <laughs> yeah. hey, we got some cool art. You know, I, I, I think, um, you know, one thing I say a lot, uh, uh, that would change, I think would change a lot of minds politically, uh, is if you could convince some of the people on one side, if you could, could explain to them how rich the rich people really are, I really think you could change some minds. I, I really think some of the, some of these people don't understand how rich rich people are. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think we could find a yeah. way to explain really how much wealth is being hoarded by that, uh, you know, that 1%, which is such a, which is such a cliched phrase now. But, mm-hmm. um, I really think you could change some minds if, if you could find effective ways to convince people that these people are trying to convince you to fight for those people mm-hmm. when they have so and, much wealth. And I think this art yeah. it, it is, I, I hope that people can read what these movies are trying to say. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Uh, but I will say not to bring uh, any type of cynicism into this because this is what I'm going to do. But I love that. I love, I love what you just said. But I think the problem is people don't want to be explained. Like people You're don't right. want that. It's just it. it's yeah. such a downer. I know. It. Um yeah, but hey, whatever. Um so so those are my number 3 and number 2. <laughs> um, 
Good stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mike, number three? <laughs> so my, my number three, you might call it my novelty pick. Or, I don't know, okay. it feels like once a year I pick a movie that's like... Um, not that this movie is so far out of left field, like not that nobody saw this movie, but that <laughs> that I I think, and not to sound like some elitist or idiosyncratic idiosyncratic asshole or whatever, I don't think this movie is on a lot of top tens, <laughs> though I would argue for it. So my number three is is Long Shot. Oh yeah, okay. S- Seth Rogen uh, and Charlize hmm. Theron, and um, it really went a long way with me in being uh, um both a really sweet romantic comedy and i don't think we get a lot of actually funny romantic comedies anymore they're just not making those movies as well mm. as uh one of the most realistic depictions of romance in a romantic comedy uh uh i would say that i'm not a fan of romantic comedies because one of my biggest complaints about those types of movies and really any movie is if i could as a as uh an objective observer explain to the characters their predicament and solve the problem by saying this is just a misunderstanding you guys are having. Having, I I don't give any credit to those movies and so many romantic comedies. If you could just explain, like, do you ever see two people as a third party like disagree about something? And if you could just say, "Hey, I just want you to know, you think he means this, but he actually means this," and you guys aren't, you're kind of on the same page, but you're arguing about the wrong thing. Have you ever been in one of those situations? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and I just- also. Yeah, sorry. Just real quick, I, I love that these last these last two points that you've made and everything, like in terms of uh, of uh, telling uh, uh, about the the one percent and everything. I love that this is Teacher Mike. Like, <laughs> it is full on Teacher Mike. I love white. Am I? Yeah. Do I sound? Just awful. Oh no, it's it's great. No, it's what it's. I'm I'm uh, heaping praise upon it because I love it. So sorry. Oh, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Do I not? I guess. Am I not usually this way on the podcast? No, Mr. White, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> no, you you are, but I just I love it when that comes out because like it's very much it's very much from a teacher mindset. It's not like interesting. A, it's not like a like oh my god, why can't you just say like hey idiot like you're saying this but she's saying that like just just fix it fix it you're <laughs> yeah. like no 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 what you're doing is thinking this and this, yeah, right. and, this and this yeah yeah, yeah. So i don't know i just i love the clinical professional <sighs> teacher thanks. mike thanks thing yeah so yeah. i that's a thing in movies that i hate and i and i think mm-hmm. it's um it's not a trope but it's a crutch i think some filmmakers or writers yeah. use uh to create tension and drama that isn't there what i loved so much about long shot uh, is that their conflict is external and they're both suffering from it. And they both want to be in this relationship, but also equally realize the difficulty of that relationship. There's no, like, in, in no way do I get the sense that she ever actually thinks she's better than him. 
And I, that would be such an easy way to paint these characters in a lesser rom-com. But she genuinely likes Seth Rogen. And it's, it's the rest of the world that they have to contend with. And so when they mm. decide in the third act, their cliche breakup, it's not this unnecessary fight that they have that she says something mean about his his beard or the way his breath stinks or something stupid and vapid like that. It's, Hey, these are the pressures that the world heaps upon us. Do you, are you willing to change for the world? And he says, I'm not. And she says, I wish that you would. And they just go, well, this can't work. And then that they, they overcome it and it's sweet and it's very romantic. But I think it's just their conflict is the, is like the most genuine rom-com conflict. I, I can imagine that I can honestly wow. think of. Um, nice. and, and, and so for that, just the most realistic, I really felt like these two characters are in love. Um, I loved it so much. It made me feel so good. It's one that I like, I insisted my wife and I watch and she enjoyed it as well so whatever maybe three is a little too high for just a silly little rom-com in a year that gave us knives out and parasite and all that stuff but no i don't um, say that i think you justified it with that analysis you you. you analyzed that movie more than anyone else in the world right (laughs) and i mean including us we did a parking lot special (laughs) i mean that as a compliment though because that's i hadn't thought that's a great thought well thanks Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, i just it definitely makes me want to revisit extra weight yeah can you guys hear me yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I just, I give extra weight to a movie who does kind of the same old thing in a unique way. And I really think that this one was a special rom-com. Okay. Nice. Uh, I'm going to revisit it for sure because I yeah. love rom-coms and it, it just didn't really do much for me, but I really like your analysis of it. So I'm going to give it another shot. Yeah, another long shot, as Thank it you. were. That's a, that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Tiny, number three. Uh, my number three is Mike's number one, so I'm going to skip that. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Okay, and I've already said my number two, Parasite. Mike, back. Number back to two. Me. <gasps> yep. <laughs> I get so long winded. I just get excited. I don't get on here a lot, so I like to talk. I'm a talker. I'm a talker. Yeah. Uh, well, my number two is Dr. Sleep. Um, nice. and there, it, I mean, the stars aligned for this movie. There, there were really just so many things, um, going for it that to be able to pull it off the way it did, I, it was just so easily, um, in a way almost tied for the, my favorite movie of the year. Um, nice. I, man, like I, I yelped triumphantly watching Dr. Sleep. Like, like toward the end when, when you real, when you, when you see the way that Flanagan reconciles King's book with, uh, both, both of King's book with Kubrick's original movie, because make no mistake, Flanagan's Dr. Sleep is a sequel to Kubrick's movie. Which, I mean, I know you guys know this, but for, for listeners of the podcast, um, which famously King does not love Kubrick's vision for the movie. So at, at the end, and, I, I, and it's a fresh movie, so I really don't want to spoil it, but the way he's able to reconcile the two, I literally clapped. Yes. Like I clapped in the theater, like a mm-hmm. boom, yes. I mean, I was probably, I probably sounded like the, a crazy person, but like I was mm-hmm. bouncing in my seat. 
Um, and yes. I, you know, I listened to the now playing podcast, which is one, which is a movie review podcast that I really admire and they really did not like the movie. And, and I just, mm. um, I don't know. It bummed me out that whatever, whatever Flanagan was going for didn't click for them because so much of this clicked for me. I mean, when they, when they kidnap the boy and the boy is a pretty famous child actor. I'm like, why would they yes. get a famous child? And then you see why they cast a kid who can act yeah. in that role. Yeah. It's so fantastic. Um, the, 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 the young girl who plays Abra, it, like so much glee in her pot. Like there's not this sense of dread, or at least they juxtapose her how excited she is with Danny's dread of having these powers. I think I thought that was a really powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I would have watched a four hour version of this where there's more oh, totally. about Danny and recovery in the first hour mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. to kind of pay off at the end. Um, but man, as a horror movie, which I'm a fan of, it works as a, as a King movie, which I'm a fan of, it works as part of the Mike Flanagan of, which I'm a fan of, it works as a Ewan McGregor movie, as an adventure movie, as a movie about alcohol and recovery and redemption. It works as a haunted house story. I mean, like it checked all the boxes of things I liked and worked at every level. Um, mm-hmm. that I just, it, it's, it's a movie I'll remember forever. I, it's an, it's an experience mm-hmm. watching a movie I'll remember forever. So well said. I agree, like, a hundred percent. And to your point about the way that it reconciles both the book, both books and the movie, like, I had that same experience. Like, I had such a just huge grin on my face at so many points in this movie. And wow. when that happened, when like certain things happened toward the end of the movie, I was just like, I was like, it, it almost brought me to tears. Cause I was just like, how me too. I, I wasn't even like thinking of how they could have melded that, like, th- like reconciled such vastly different takes on, on, on a single property. And like they, he did it and it was great. I loved it. It, yeah. it, it brought me near tears in both what I was witnessing on the screen, mm-hmm. right in, in the story, uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the redemption of the character, as well as how cool it was to see Flanagan succeed. Right. Yep. So for like yep. two mm-hmm. reasons, I was like losing my mind. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mike, I love you for all saying all those things because Dr. Sleep is also Thank my you. number two <laughs> for all those reasons and more. Um, I, so again, back to the theme of do is, is do I, do I put in the top movies of the year or the movies that are my favorite? This is a favorite pick and a top pick. This fills both categories. Um, mm-hmm. I so it, th- this is such a personal pick because I was first introduced to the Torrance family when I was twelve years old. That was the first mm-hmm. Stephen King book I ever read. Probably a little young. Um, check out Tower Junkies for our review of the book and, and you know my personal relationship to the the Shining and the Torrance family and the three characters of Jack, Wendy, and Danny. Um, so I've been sitting with this family for 19 years and this is, this is 20 years. This is the last time we're going to get to be with the Torrance family, you know, mm-hmm. for the, for, you know, Stephen King could write another book or whatever, but probably not. And I kind of don't want him to because of how perfect this movie was. Um, just to reiterate Mike's point about infusing 
the book and the movie and, and just, you know, how culturally relevant The Shining is, especially the movie, um, you had to bring all these elements together and I, I, it could not have been done better than what Mike Flanagan did with, with mm-hmm. this property and all these properties coming together. Um, this is one of the few times where I will buck the cliche that the book's always better than the movie. Mm-hmm. I actually like the movie better than the book. And I, I can say I that with complete, yeah. yeah, I can say that with complete confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the moment that Mike is talking about where he clapped. Mm-hmm. I was weeping some of the most genuine tears of joy I've ever wept uh-huh. at a film yeah. because awesome. of the comeuppance of the Torrance family it was just beautiful in this movie. And I loved it so much. Mike Flanagan did it better than Stephen King did. Mm-hmm. And, and I hate saying that because I love <laughs> Stephen King, but I'm beginning to love Mike Flanagan on on a whole other level too um mm-hmm. and this movie was just so good i god i just love so much about it um the kids were great uh the the scene that mike was referring to about the famous child actor was was physically difficult to watch mm-hmm. uh just amazing and um the actress i'm failing to remember her name who played abra mm-hmm. um captured that character so well and blended the uh, the concepts of childlike joy and wonder with the horrific aspects of her powers and how the situation that she's put in the the transition that she goes through and and how she transitions between those two major themes of her character were really well done she she act she she did a great job her performance was really good um and ewan mcgregor I did not know how perfect he was for adult Danny Torrance until they announced him. And I was like, that's perfect. And he hit it out of the park. I loved his performance. Um, everybody and everything about this movie was great. I would not change a thing. And, uh, it's, it's almost like a tie for number one. It was sitting in my number one spot. Mm-hmm. Like I put it in my number one spot as soon as I left the theater. And I was like, yeah. I texted Matt. I was like, it's probably not going to leave that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hurts me a little bit right now that it's not, but, um, <laughs> I uh, God, that movie's just, it's so yeah. great, and I can't wait to see the director's cut. Is that next week it comes out? The Tuesday. Yeah. And I can't Mike, wait. have you heard about that? The director's cut's going to have 30 minutes of extra footage. Ooh, dang. Yeah. I am so excited for that. <laughs> like, insanely yeah. excited. Yeah. Um, so that's our 10 to twos, guys. Yeah. Right? So Here are we ready for the big ones? Number one. Yeah. Yep. All right, so I'll get us kicked off. Uh, my number one was Mike's number four, four, mm-hmm. four, and Tiny's number my number five, number five. Me, and in a few years, you rebel against him because you need to have your voice. But you don't want a voice. You just want to fucking complain about not having a voice. I think about being married to you, and that woman is a stranger to me. I mean, we had a child's marriage. You've gone back to your life before you met me. It's pathetic. People used to tell me that you were too selfish to be a great artist, and I used to defend you. They were absolutely right. All your best acting is behind you. You're back to being a hack. You gaslighted me. You're a fucking villain. Oh, you want to present yourself as a victim because it's a good legal strategy? Fine. But you and I both know you chose this life. You wanted it until you didn't. So my number one is Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. Um... My God, like I was so taken with this movie just from a dramatic standpoint of this, this kind of 
almost unconventional look at divorce or uh, of a couple breaking apart. And it's not, it, it's what I love about it so much is that it's not about these two people hating each other. It's about these two people who have a kid together and are calling it quits on a relationship and are doing the right thing for their family, but being just run through the ringer of divorce lawyers and different, like just the whole notion of divorce proceedings have how it wears them down and brings them to a point, like it brings out such a contentious point to them. Like there's a scene where they're in court and their lawyers are fighting for them essentially and fighting against each other. And the camera just stays on like switches between Adam driver and ScarJo. Uh, and you just see that this defeated, like just not blank, but just this, this like uh, this look on their face, like this isn't what we wanted and this isn't how it's supposed to happen. And we don't have the energy to do this. And then the scene that gets so much play online, uh, that became viral, which I kind of hate because people kind of shat on it because it is one of the best scenes I've seen in like all year is the scene in the apartment where everything reaches a boiling point. And I love that because it's them finally just coming out with like how they feel about it, but it's not done in a Hollywood show, like showy kind of way. It's just them expressing themselves in the most natural way. And the way that Noah Baumbach has this talent for shooting and, and presenting scenes and sequences and films in general as stage productions is so intoxicating to me and it's so unique and refreshing to me. Like there are scenes where like you cut to like there, there are noticeable time jumps in the movie where you cut to, uh, Charlie's theater company rehearsing or, or, or working on, working on a play. And they're just having just general conversations about Charlie's, uh, divorce. And you get so much information from that, from that dialogue. And it just feels like you're, you're going into the next act of a stage production. And that's something that, it can come across as hokey, it can come across as weird, but it comes across as so genuine here. And the performances are just out of this world. And I loved, loved seeing Alan Alda pop up. <laughs> like, I love mm-hmm. Alan Alda so much. And he was such a charming presence and a charming counter presence to, like, the more vicious Ray Liotta or Laura Dern mm-hmm. um, characters. And just, I just was so, so enamored with this movie. And, I just I I loved it so much. I probably have I, I I'll be revisiting it several times. But it's uh it's it's a beautiful beautiful movie. You can tell that Noah Baumbach really like poured his heart into it because he went through this. <laughs> yeah, hates divorce. divorce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and it's just it's such a such a beautiful powerful movie that I got a lot uh, a lot out of. Like in that apartment scene, like. The emotion of that, like I got teary eyed when I saw it, when I watched it on my phone at work <laughs> and I was like, this is, uh, this is, uh, not a good look for oh, me. Yeah. Oh, Amanda was <laughs> yeah. full on crying at that scene. Oh yeah. yeah oh sure. yeah. Yep. Uh, beautiful, beautiful movie. Marriage story. My number one. Love it. Uh, Noah Baumbach did a phenomenal job per- 
perfect performances. I I loved it. So mm-hmm. that's my number one mm-hmm. marriage story. So I yeah, a couple things about that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I love that movie. It was my number four. Um, two things I'll say. One, I love what the movie has to say about um, like the reality of divorce and the effects of it mm-hmm. on everybody. Um, mm-hmm. like not just Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson's characters, but like Ray Liotta, uh, and Laura Dern and Alan Alda as the, the lawyers who, you know, Laura Dern and Ray Liotta are kind, they're kind of cast in the villain roles, but I don't yeah. think either of them are despicable characters. And I think mm-hmm. you could make an argument that divorce has done this to them. Not only are mm-hmm. they both divorced people, but they're also f- fighting every day for these people who are mm-hmm. divorcing and it's just this mm-hmm. defeating awful thing that unfortunately so many people go through and it's weird to see the 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 grace uh and aplomb with which Alan Alda's character is able to mm-hmm. go through it so much so that his brain's almost a little fried as yeah. as mm-hmm. a result right he's he's mm-hmm. almost kind of ineffective as a lawyer and so i i just love um i you know, Laura Dern at the Golden Globes kind of made a joke that the movie brought to light, you know, an under-respected profession, and that's the divorce lawyer. But I think mm. she's kind of making too light of what that has to say about divorce lawyers. I, I think it's really actually kind of remorseful of what they have to do, mm-hmm. even though they might be kind of villainous. The other thing I'll say yeah. is a couple of students watched that movie. And funny enough, one of them came up to me the other day, or I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and said, uh, you saw Marriage Story, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Uh, and they're like, who do you think is to blame? And I was like, oh, yeah. that's oh wow, so interesting, 16-year-old young girl, <laughs> that uh, I don't think... I mean, I wouldn't say that I know for sure, but I I would bet money that that's not what the movie's asking at all. Exactly. And that's right. really interesting mm-hmm. to see a 16-year-old um, that be the thing that she would cling to, because to me, uh, nobody is right. They're both a little mm-hmm. shitty, and they're both just want what's best for their family, whatever family exactly. means now. Mm-hmm. Um. To that point, really quickly, Mike, um, the, <laughs> the internet is filled with 16-year-old girls. Um, yeah. But yeah, because that became such a when with the when it came out, there was like uh, tweets, film Twitter, uh, just saying like, "Oh, Team Charlie, Team oh, I, oh my God, ScarJo's name in the movie, fuck, um, <laughs> Team ScarJo, Team Adam Driver." Yeah. Um, and that's not the point. And as hacky as it's going to sound, and as hokey and everything um divorce the divorce machine the machinations of divorce uh divorce proceedings that's, right. that's the antagonist that's of the right. movie there's no team whatever right. it's these two people who shared a life together disbanding that life and being in the throes of of at the mercy of of this what is what is so comfortable becoming a malevolent force um it's a business yeah. too, a business of yeah. misery. That's yeah, mm-hmm. another thing. Um, yeah, it was, and so it was floating around in my top three for a long time, and it didn't fall very much. Uh, I had it at number five, and uh, obviously, echo everything you guys have said. It's a fantastic movie. Um, 
Scarlett Johansson was probably my favorite performance of the year mm-hmm. in that role, uh, especially her kind of long take in the when she's meeting her lawyer for the first time yeah. just blew me away and really yeah. pulled me into the yeah. movie. Loved it. Um, and then, of course, the scene in the apartment uh, mm-hmm. towards the end uh, was just brutal and so hor- horrific. Mm-hmm. Incredible scene. The acting was next level. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think... To, to the point that Mike was making about his student asking him that it's, I sort of compare it. It's, it's like, it's like a war. Like no one really, no one really wins a war. You both lose. And that's, that's what it's sort of like with divorce. Everybody loses something. It's not about, it's not always about blame. And and this was one of those scenarios where it's not, it's, it's, it's neither of them and both of them at the same time. And it's, yeah, they both lost, you know, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it was an absolutely remarkable movie. And I loved, I hope it wins some Oscars. Um, Scar- Scarlett Johansson's my pick for best actress. Uh, I, I loved her. So nice. Great movie. Awesome. Sweet. So Mike, uh, do you want to bring us into, I'm not going to make that pun. Drum roll. Yes. Your number one movie of 2019. <laughs> my number one movie on your left, Captain. Gosh, it's Avengers. Of course, it's Avengers. And I and I thought about coming into this podcast and being a little antagonistic toward you guys, uh, <laughs> but I decided I'd back off a little bit. Um, but wait, and tell you in what way <laughs> that I think? Well, okay, you want me to just do it? Uh, sure. If you like action movies at all, if you saw Avengers Endgame once. <laughs> if leading up to it, you've seen any more than two of the other in the Avengers MCU franchise, to pretend like Avengers Endgame isn't the most special thing you saw last year would be a lie. <laughs> I think that you're lying if it's not <laughs> your number one. You're kidding yourself. I think you're kidding yourself. If you're going to argue that it's not the very most special thing you did last year, because I think it's the most special thing any of us did last year. Um, you know, I, ch- and that's my jokingly over the top <laughs> antagonistic, l- like whatever you want to like. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but for <laughs> me, that's why it's my number one. You know, I thought mm-hmm. about like, what is it about? movies that I love, like what kind of great, capital G, great movie is the 
best movie of the year? Well, it's probably Marriage Story or Parasite, right? Um, but it, but I go to movies for this, this list of reasons. Uh, and Endgame not only checks off all those things, but it's an amusement park. It's beyond cinema. It's beyond movies. It's beyond Parasite and Marriage Story combined. It's not even, I, I almost got really cheeky and decided to call it an honorable mention just so I could, <laughs> just so I could put horror noir in number 10 and I didn't have to like take up a spot talking about something, Avengers Endgame, that's, that's hardly even a movie because it's like, and, and this is the analogy I used to you guys. It's, it's like that year you went to Disneyland and I'm speaking hypothetically. <laughs> my family never had enough money to go to Disneyland. <laughs> that year you went to Disneyland when you were eight, the year you were eight, Disneyland was the most special thing you did that year because it was an amusement park. You got to see something you'll probably never see again in your life. Avengers Endgame was a theme park ride. We went on an adventure. The, the, the sheer audacity to pay off 22 movies over 11 years with this one film at the end and for it to be good is unfathomable. Mm-hmm. It's a nation full of nerdy kids on a playground saying what if happened this year and we all yeah. got to witness it. That's what Avengers is. That's what Endgame <laughs> did for all of us. It was the most special cinematic experience. And and I can't think of a more special thing. I can't imagine it ever happening again. And the easy comparison I made was the the shame of what the Star Wars franchise has become, how the Marvel Cinematic Universe did this in 22 years and so damn successfully. Now, I could go into some of the themes about Endgame. I could argue that, you know, some people say, well, it's only half a movie, and if you're counting that, don't you have to? I could argue that you could watch Endgame, catch up, and and not need the other movies, and it is a complete story with arcs. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Led, you know, I think Captain America's arc begins a little earlier, but he does get an arc. I think one of the central arcs is Black Widow's, right, mm-hmm. of that story. She is the leader of the Avengers at the beginning of Endgame, and, and she has an arc, um, and I think it's beautiful. And it's, it's redemption and it's, uh, teamwork and it's honor and it's what does it mean to be a hero? And all these things pay off in a thing that really as boys, as children, we thought, what if? And people who were older than us had to say, Oh, come on. That'll never happen. And it <laughs> did. That is, it is so easily my number one movie of this year. Probably one of the most important movies I've ever seen. Will, we'll study this we'll talk about this movie in the future it's my number six (laughs) (laughs) no i i agree like it is it is all that you said the only thing and this is such a reach for me the only like piece of criticism i guess that i could level at it is i felt like maybe the hulk was underused and didn't pay off the the beginning of infinity war sure but yeah to your point, just a minor gripe. Just I don't about think it paid everything. off Ultron either. Yeah, I think true. I think Hulk's arc is really is really underserved. But go ahead. Anyway. Yeah, go ahead. But uh, <laughs> but the idea that 
people will and have said like, oh, Infinity War is half a movie, Endgame is half a movie. No, it's not. Both movies have their specific themes, their spe- specific arcs, everything. It's <laughs> it's like that is a non-criticism. That is that is a non-point. Um, but anyway, uh, loved it. Like that <laughs> that scene, the on your left scene, like it is the greatest scene I've seen all year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It like it is so triumphant and so great. Um, and like you said, it's it's insane. It's ins- it's pure insanity that this happened. Mm-hmm. That it's twenty two movies leading up to this conclusion mm-hmm. and there's going to be more there's every like it's never going to end disney will never let kevin feige out of his lair that they've that they've placed him in <laughs> but it's never going to end it's going to expand it's going to have its highs and lows but here now it'll never be this, this good again yeah right oh, absolutely absolutely right. and what's amazing is that we <laughs> like this is going to sound lame but for someone who d- like wasn't into comics or didn't know these characters as intimately as people who were fans from long ago um i'm just so enamored at the fact that we we are alive at a time where this happened yep. like we experienced this we saw iron man in 2008 we saw endgame in 2019 like that's something that like is so so special for all of us that the collective audience that did that uh that that experienced this and also i really hope that the kids that were disruptive in my screening that i actually yelled at in the screening <laughs> in a very authoritative and deep voice not a very high-pitched thing stop it you yeah <laughs> Uh, no, it was a, uh, I'll, I'll level with you guys, uh, cause Kirsten's not here to give me shit. Um, it was a, shut the fuck up! Guys! Uh, <laughs> guys, you're ruining the movie! Um, but no, uh, I just really hope that they stubbed their toes on a, on the edge of a sure, coffee table. Yeah. yeah cause wow. yeah, they I wouldn't, were asses. I wouldn't wish to have been any younger while I was experiencing this. Like, I'm not, oh, totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm not like wistful that they're, that it's not like something from my youth that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I have the like the benefit of age and wisdom to really think mm-hmm. hard about these movies, as well as yes. something that's paying off in my adulthood, something that I cared about as a child. Mm-hmm. Right? I think coming I think, you know, being twenty two or whatever in two thousand eight and being a witness it the way I did, that's so awesome. I, I feel like mm-hmm. it's the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was my number three, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, I can't refute anything you said, obviously, Mike. And to add to add to it, I I will basically call it a perfect movie. Uh-huh. I, I mean, what what's not perfect about this movie? I I think I think relatively right because right. Be, perfection perfection's impossible, right? right. You, it's yep. impossible, but how could this movie be better? Right? It, you can't. I I can't think of anything, and. That's rare. Uh, there were maybe two things that were tiny little nitpicks that reference our Matt and I's review of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's it, it was a perfect movie. Uh, there's a point where I actually thought I might be having a little heart attack. Like I'm not joking. <laughs> like I, you know, people say, "Oh my god, I had a heart attack." Like no, I thought I think my blood pressure was like 200 over 150. <laughs> like. Um, and, and that's that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen yeah. in movies ever. Yeah. And, and and this movie achieved that. And it's 
like Mike said, eleven years, twenty two movies. Mm-hmm. It's it, this isn't gonna. I can't imagine this happening again. Like like Mike said, right. and yeah. um, it by all rights, it's a number one movie. Yeah, it, it should mm-hmm. be. Um, but yeah, I had it at my number three. It's 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 perfect. It's a perfect nice. movie. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Uh, so we've come to it, tiny. What's yes. your number one movie of 2019, of the year 2019? <laughs> Colonel Mackenzie is in command of the second. He sent word yesterday morning he was going after the retreating Germans. He is convinced he has them on the run. That if he can break their lines now, he will turn the tide. He's wrong. Colonel Mackenzie has not seen these aerials of the enemy's new line. Come around here, gentlemen. Three miles deep, field fortifications, defences, artillery, the like of which we've never seen before. The second are due to attack the line shortly after dawn tomorrow. They have no idea what they're in for. And we can't warn them. As a parting gift, the enemy cut all our telephone lines. Your orders are to get to the second at Kwasi Wood, one mile southeast of the town of Lacoste. Deliver this to Colonel Mackenzie. It is a direct order to call off tomorrow morning's attack. If you don't, it will be a massacre. We will lose two battalions. Sixteen hundred men, your brother among them. You think you can get there in time? Yes, sir. My number one is 1917. Nice. Um, And that was my number seven. Okay, okay. So I could very easily go on and on forever about... I think it was my number 24. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'll take it. <laughs> nice for a guy who's not a war movie. It's, it's on the list. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> nice. Um, I could go on and on forever about World War One and the history and all that. I won't do that, but I'll recommend go to a podcast called Hardcore History. There is a series, a six-part series called Blueprint for Armageddon that is all about World War One. It's about it's kind of like a basically the length of a lengthy book. It's about twenty five hours. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in World War One at all, it's phenomenal. So I re listened to it after I saw this movie. Um, so nice. I'll spare you all from my the ridiculous World War One statistics and all that, and and why I was so primed to love this movie. Um, as a as a piece of filmmaking, 1917 is absolutely astounding. Um, Sam Mendes chose to edit the film and film it in a way that it's all presented as one long take. Um, it's, it's not, you know, there's, there's edits in there and, and there's, um, some computer graphics CGI used to make it look more seamless. And Mm -hmm. I could see those, a couple of those edits. Um, but it did not take me out of the movie at all. Um, as I was sitting there watching this movie, experiencing this movie, I was, I had so much fun wondering how the hell they made it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was completely blown away by the ability to put a camera in a trench and, and, and to literally scale and trek across the French countryside physically with a camera and hundreds of extras and sets and costumes and makeup and, they managed to do that. Like I, I would be completely fascinated by how much physical ground they covered in this movie. <laughs> it's just absolutely astounding what they were able to achieve yeah. uh, from, from a technical filmmaking standpoint. Um, it sort of takes place in, in sort of real time. You know, there's, there's some breaks in there, but uh, I, I think that 
that effect was used to a magnificent level. Um, and, and really, um, one of my favorite parts was sort of exemplifying how horrific world war one was without showing almost any warfare. I mean, there, yeah. there's almost none in this movie. Huh. Um, and, and so many parts of the beautiful French countryside are turned into an apocalyptic wasteland mm-hmm. at the drop of a hat and the snap of a finger. And, and, uh, the the ability to do that in one take it's just i just couldn't believe it i was just completely blown away um you know the the sound was amazing the uh the sets were amazing the um acting despite all of the hardships of of you know uh, trying to film something in one take was all out of this world and i i could not i, I just, i'm just blown away by by how perfectly it all came together. Mm. And I think some people don't connect to that. Like this is, again, this is kind of another personal pick because um, I think some people are bothered by the technicality of movies. Like it it takes you out of the story Mm. to sit there and wonder or, you know, think, think about the long takes or whatever and the editing and stuff like that. And I totally get that. Um, But for me, that is endlessly fun. Um, I, I am a huge fan of long takes, um, and and this is one of the best examples I've seen of it. Um, so just that right there was was enough to to draw me in and make it a top ten movie. Um, but I think I think what set it apart is just, gosh, I'm trying to collect my thoughts on it. Sure. Um, uh, it's been a long episode. <laughs> um, uh-huh. I just I, I think I think it's just the physicality of the movie that really blew me away with with these these stark moments of you know gunfire and explosions mixed in with these beautiful moments of characters connecting and uh, the the violence is really subdued again for such a horrible horrible event but it, it also makes you cringe in so many parts um, uh, and I, I, this is crazy to say because it's it's hard for me to put it all together. But this is the first time since 2013 with 12 Years a Slave that I think I'm going to put an, a movie in my top 20 of all time mm-hmm. with 1917. Um, it's it's been a while since wow. I've felt the need to do that, and I think yeah. I think this movie is going to be it. I can't wait to see it again. Um, I've I've just seen it the one time. Um, but yeah, I, I might have to like write something down and. And share it because I feel like I'm not doing it justice. But uh, I, I absolutely love this movie. Um, I think people need to learn more about World War One and mm-hmm. and why it's actually uh, more important than World War Two in so many ways, and and how how relevant the event was to to world history. Um, and and to see there there aren't there's very few World War One movies, and and this is the perfect one. And uh, it was obviously a passion project for Sam Mendes as well. Um, his grandfather served and survived World War One, which is a, a remarkable feat in and of itself. Um, and so I, I, I really wish I was doing it more justice. But yeah, the the movie was just incredible, an incredible piece of filmmaking about an incredible event in human history. And I don't think it could have been made any any better. It's it's again bordering on a perfect movie for me. Yeah, uh, I loved it so, so much. Uh, it was my number seven. I did have some trouble reconciling some of my issues with it with, with 
my overall thoughts. I did write a review on the website. Since we're running long, just defer to that link in the show notes. Um, but I did come to terms with it and loved it. Uh, grew to love it. Um, Mike, actually, your conversation that you and I had privately about it was uh, really kind of eye-opening and helped me formulate my thoughts. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, check out my review. Uh, any thoughts on 1970? Yeah, well, I don't want the last thing we say about that movie to be things <laughs> I didn't like about it. Uh, so I'll try sure. to stick <laughs> to what I did like. Uh, like I said, it wasn't on my top 10 list um but yeah the the feat of cinematography that they were able to pull off Mm -hmm. is really quite impressive and actually as a critic of the movie tiny i wasn't taken out at all by any of that Um, oh great i did i you know at the halfway point they kind of decide to um break that gimmick for one turn uh and i and in that moment i go Eh, okay, everybody just needed a break. And then they kind of yeah. get back on there. Um, and I thought that that was really cool. Um, I also, th- and I said this to Matt the other day, um, I, you know, as, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of war movies. I'm also kind of a pacifist. So, uh, like the main characters, um, insistence upon like not killing anybody unless he has to, I thought was really mm. impressive characterization, uh, and not one you get a whole lot in war movies. So, um, mm, to right. have that really just, uh, not a whole lot of death, but shade to that character, uh, I thought, I thought was really interesting and kind of feather in the cap of this movie. Um, I also, it was kind of cool to see like the way they utilize their, uh, really great character actors. Um, mm, yeah. I don't even know that you call Benedict Cumberbatch a character actor. He's no. kind of an A-lister at this point. But um, <sighs> just really at the beginning, the midpoint, and the end, just mm-hmm. really quite briefly. Uh, and then really yeah. that that the money shot, that hero shot at the end of the movie, um, and I won't spoil, I'll just, just accept to say that you've seen it in the trailers, is absolutely as triumphant uh, as mm. that trailer, like if you see that trailer and you're like, man, that part kind of looked cool. Should I go see that movie? You <laughs> absolutely should. Like that scene is worth the ticket, uh, alone. Uh, so yes. I really did like that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, awesome. okay. So we're going to wrap up here. Uh, before we do that, I do want to share, uh, the top 10 list of our, uh, recurring co-host Kirsten. Uh, so here is her top 10 list for 2019. And here we go with Kirsten's top 10 list for 2019. Uh, she and I watched a lot of movies together this year and, uh, she, I, I was super excited because she had been keeping track of the movies she watched with me and the movies of like the new release movies that she'd seen. So she had had this running list, uh, ranked list in her phone for the entire year. So here we go with her top 10 list for 2019. Number 10, scary stories to tell in the dark. Number nine, ma. Number eight, Joker. Number seven, Spider-Man far from home. Number six, Captain Marvel. Number five, book smart. Number four, Knives Out. Number three, Us. Number two, Avengers Endgame. And Kirsten Leister's number one movie of 2019. (laughs) 
이 전송 버튼이 완전히 무슨 미사일 버튼이네. 뭔 얘기야, 여보? <웃음> 아니, 이 버튼만 누른다 그러면 저장반도 꼼짝을 못하잖아. 이게 완전 북한 미사일이야. 북핵 미사일 버튼? <웃음> 경의하는 최고 령도자 김종은 동지께서는 오늘 이번 일가족 사기단의 동영상을 보시면서 그들의 악랄하고 저급한 All right, so that was uh, that was Kirsten's top ten list for 2019. Uh, yeah, so we're going to. I have one more thing, but it'll be after this segment. So we're going to do something unique and different. Um, did we decide, Mike, for you to bring it up? Or yeah, me? I'll bring it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to pitch it because you're the one that kind of came up with it. Sure. So for our uh, kind of last segment, or I guess penultimate segment before we sign off here, <laughs> um, one of the things we used to do on this show was called the Vault or Vault Movie. Movies, mm-hmm. movies that we considered uh, and kind of all agreed upon were our like untouchable, these are the great movies, obsessive viewers, stamp of approval. So while we don't really do those vault movies anymore, these are our obsessive viewers, stamp of approval, top five of 2019. And I think we're going to mm-hmm. try to do this every year. Basically, the mm-hmm. ones that are common among all three of our lists. Uh, and by the three of us, not to uh, disclude their, their recurring guests but uh we decided to stick with the the co-hosts on this episode so this these are the top five uh obsessive viewer certified stamp of approval common movies best of 2019 all three of us agree that uh you guys should see these movies so matt what are these movies all right so we're gonna go in just alphabetical order um yeah yeah. so we've got (laughs) uh we've got dr sleep We've got Endgame. We've we've got Knives Out. <laughs> Hang on, I'm like they're not in alphabetical order. And I'm like, <laughs> That's yeah. we've been we've been recording for so long. Yeah. I'm like I'm questioning the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so our top five: Doctor Sleep, Endgame, Knives Out, Marriage Story, and Parasite. Uh, Mr. White, is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's close enough. Uh, yeah, so I, I and I love that idea, and I'm a little bitter that we didn't come up with it six years ago. I know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I love it. So yeah, really a great group of movies, kind of kind, mm. uh, in such a great year for movies. And I'm sorry that I feel like we say that all the time, but mm. truly, uh, I don't think we'll have five of these every year. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I think the fact that out of fifteen possible. 30 Mm -hmm. excuse me 30 possible spots uh we had this many uh uh, overlapping movies that's really cool these are really really great movies uh Mm -hmm. so if you're you know what i do when i listen to a top 10 is i always i make a letterbox list of that group's Mm -hmm. top 10 that that you're they say you're supposed to watch so we thought we'd make it a little easy for you guys uh, and just give you the top five that if you are an obsessive viewer fan, you should see these movies because we saw them and totally. we like them. Yep. 
I I love that. I, I love that so much. Yes. Um, so we're going to end this episode here in a second. Um, I do want to mention, uh, if you guys remember last year when we did the year in review, uh, I kind of forced upon you and mentioned uh, letterboxed uh, challenges that I wanted to do. And we had My like total a- number zero. <laughs> yes. So yeah, uh, all the letterbox challenges I did, I scrapped early in the year. Um, and then also we did, we pitched this idea. I don't, did we say <laughs> it on mic? But it was, uh, the obsessive viewer list challenge where we picked a list and then we watched as many movies throughout the year. We did the Ebert list. That, that didn't happen. So canceled. Sorry. Yep, yeah. Canceled. Much like Stephen King's career, That's we have right. been canceled. We've canceled <laughs> that. Uh, but I wanted to round this out with a bit of bragging. I should have brought this up in stats, but I didn't want to do that. But usually I do a breakdown of the internet presence of obsessive viewer and obsessive viewer podcasts. Um, I didn't get too in the weeds with the stats, but I did compile a list of 2019 film journalism by me. Um, so I just wanted to just mention the run that down a little bit. Uh, this was a huge year for me, mostly because I joined the IFJA and because of that, I wanted to write more written reviews. So for the first time since I believe it was late 2016 or maybe 2015, I actually wrote reviews for the website. <laughs> um, and that's insane to me. So I just want to just document it here. I wrote a total of 24 written full like full length written reviews of films in 2019 23 of those appeared on obsessiveviewer.com with one appearing as a guest post on hypable.com and as far as podcast episodes throughout the year uh obsessive viewer released 40 episodes uh anthology my solo podcast released 28 and Tower Junkies released 17. So we at Obsessive Viewer Podcasts uh, contributed to the internet a total of 85 podcast episodes in 2019. Wow. Um, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Um, in terms of guest appearances on podcasts, I made four guest appearances on four different podcasts. Uh, the Nerds You're Looking For, I did their yearly uh, <laughs> top 10 of the year episode in January. I was supposed to guest on their podcast this year again. Again, but I had to break tradition because I wasn't feeling well. Check their show out. Um, check out that episode. A link in the show notes, all that. Um, I was also honored to be a guest on You're Gonna Love This or Not podcast from the Indiana Geeking family of podcasts uh, to review Short Circuit 2. And finally, I did uh, a couple of guest spots on two different Twilight Zone podcasts between Science and Superstition and submitted for your approval. Uh, so yeah, so that was, uh, my year in fil- film journalism. Uh, that was a total of all told written reviews, podcast episodes, and guest appearances. I had, uh, 113, uh, pieces of 2019 film journalism, uh, on the internet. Damn. So yeah, uh, I'm very happy with that yeah, and I'm job. hoping to do even more this year. So nice. I just wanted that documented. Um, I think we're done here, guys. It is almost midnight indie time. It's almost 11 Ooh, your time, Mike. We did yeah. it at yeah, 1047. Yes. Oh, yes. So, uh, thank you, Mike, for gracing us with your presence once again. <laughs> Always the pleasure <laughs> yes. is mine. Yeah. Yes. Uh, super, super happy, uh, for 2019. Very much looking forward to 2020. Um, uh, yeah, the horn. 2020 and prioritizing mental health. Just throw that yes. out there. Not really yeah. the theme of this episode, yeah. but you know, our, yeah. 
this year the obsessive viewer hosts are obsessed mm-hmm. with just working on everybody's mental health. Get right. Yes. Talk about it. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, because that is something that really needs to be worked on, at least on me. Like, I'm mm-hmm. uh, I'm on medication, but it is something mm-hmm. that I struggle with every day. So thank you for saying yeah, that. Yeah, of course. All of us. Um, yep. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, we got this. Uh, so yeah, so that'll do it for this special episode of Obsessive Viewer. Um, in the pipeline, we've got Oscar talk coming. We've got uh, Howie talk coming. <laughs> Just hey, making a plan. Hey, that was yeah. good. That was good. Know, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, was <laughs> um, uh, no. Uh, so yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Awesome. Okay, good job, guys. We did it. Another year in the books. All right, so that is our year in review episode. I'm going I'm recording this separately from that recording cuz that was so long. Um I'm about to edit the episode and I just wanted to run down the actual stats for the podcast in 2019 since I didn't have those prepared when we recorded this episode on the 15th of January. So, uh just really just want to run down these stats. I have my cat here that's wanting attention. Um Pizza World the official mascot of the obsessive viewer. Uh so I didn't compile notes for all the podcasts, just Obsessive Viewer for right now. Um, so here we go. So Obsessive Viewer, we released in 2019 a total of 40 episodes, 4-0. And that is an increase of 5. Uh, in 2018, we released 35 episodes. So 40 episodes in 2019 uh, for a grand total runtime for Obsessive Viewer of 2 days, 22 hours, 58 minutes, and 58 seconds worth of audio content for you guys. So, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Patreon, not Patreon exclusive, but Patreon reviews that we did for, like, Patreon selected reviews, none. Uh, uh, Honestly, that's kind of surprising. We did have uh, Patreon suggested reviews that we didn't get to that we will get to in the, the coming months of 2020, I promise. Moving right along, we had a total of 25 episodes that contained movie reviews, like an actual, like, featured review of a movie. So that's excluding, like, extended potpourri and stuff like that. Um, that's 25 episodes. That's one shy of last year, which we had 26 movie episodes. Uh, but those 25 episodes in 2019 accounted for 32 featured reviews. So that's not including like potpourri segments or anything. These are like featured reviews of the podcast, uh, of the, on the podcast of m- movies. Um, we doubled up on, a, on several episodes this year. So that was very good. Uh, uh, TV reviews, TV episodes. Um, surprisingly, we didn't have any in 2018, or maybe not surprising, but this year we had four. We had the Game of Thrones, um, uh, final, ep- final episodes, uh, runner thing, a series. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, and we also had Chernobyl and everything. So, uh, four TV episodes. That's good. Uh, extended potpourri episodes last year or in 2018, we had 10, uh, in 2019, we had four. So that's not too bad. Uh, and then I kind of lumped together bonus episodes, special episodes, live episodes, um, altogether those in 2018, we had seven, but in 2019, we only had four. And I think part of that is because we didn't do Shocktober and Irvington, uh, last year. Um, yeah, so I, who knows what 2020 will bring. Um, Heartland Film Festival episodes, we had two and a half. So I had two episodes where we 
was just solely dedicated to Heartland. Um, and then I had a kind of the remaining reviews or the remaining red carpets I had, um, in a separate episode. So two and a half, that's a decrease from 2018, which we had four episodes. Um, Netflix picks slash prime selections episodes, uh, zero actually. So i kind of want to do more of that, uh, this year, but in 2018 it was three. So yeah. Uh, featured appearances. So Mike was on a total of three episodes in 2019. That's one less than he was in 2018. Fekus made eight appearances on the podcast. Uh, that is an increase from 2018, which he had six, uh, appearances. Kirsten was on the show eight times as well this year in 2019. Uh, that is one less than she was in 2018. So that's awesome. Um, Ben made his first appearance on the podcast in 2018. I think that was in August and he ended up being on a total of four episodes. So that's fantastic as well as all of the work that he did on the website. It's very awesome to have him be a part of the obsessive viewer. Um, in terms of actual content and everything, um, the longest episode, um, I have two longest episodes. So we had two episodes, ah, I'm, my words are getting jumbled. So, uh, the longest runtime of episodes that we had, this is excluding last year's year in review episode because that was a mammoth and those are always huge, much like this episode that you're listening to, which is a year in review. Um, so I have two, um, in episode 298, the second part of our Heartland Film Festival coverage. That episode was two hours, 52 minutes and 57 seconds. And the next one under that was episode 282, which was our coverage of the final two episodes of Game of Thrones. That episode came out to two hours, 22 minutes, and 56 seconds. So, uh, yeah, so that's pretty interesting. On the flip side, the shortest episodes we had this year were uh, episode 273, which was a bonus episode uh, reviewing Isn't It Romantic? Uh, that was 34 minutes, 56 seconds. Um, the reason, like, we did that, <laughs> that was a parking lot special, uh, because I had a... I, Increase or I bought a new handy like digital recorder. Um, so we we did a lot more of those this year. And our second shortest episode was episode 294, which was a bonus review of Rapid Response with me and Tiny. Uh, that clocked in at 59 minutes and eight seconds. And so to kind of round out this episode and everything and these stats, Pizza is <laughs> dragging her little bed around. Um, anyway, uh, we do, we did really go kind of all in on Patreon. So we're very thankful to have the Patreon support that we do. Thank you so much if you give us money and, and, and appreciate the Patreon, uh, content that we provide. Having said that, we had Patreon, we had, we released 44 Patreon exclusive recordings in 2019. That's an increase from 11 in 2018. And those 44, uh, Patreon exclusive recordings clocked in at 17 hours, 24 minutes, 30 seconds. And so if you become a Patreon supporter, you get access to all 44 of those or all 17 hours from 2019, all of the end, the 11 episodes from 2018. So it, there's a bunch of stuff there. You'll get instant access to it. Um, and we appreciate everyone that, uh, supports us on, on Patreon and everything. So, um, that'll do it for this episode. Um, yeah, looking forward to the podcast in 2020. I'm hoping that we can do that Patreon suggested episode that uh, Robert suggested. I'm very excited to actually get that done. Um, 
I think Kirsten and I have talked about doing uh, episodes kind of revolving around comedy and stand-up comedy and stand-up specials and comedians' careers and everything, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, just everything else that we're, we're going to do. It's, it's going to be a good year, I think. So thank you guys so much for listening, supporting us throughout another year of The Obsessive Viewer, another calendar year of The Obsessive Viewer. And I can't wait to keep doing this for many more years to come. So thank you guys so much for supporting us and have a good one. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer. And follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Fekis and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda, at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Kitty!